And we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio's NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, our preview this week is going to cover all of the races at Phoenix Raceway. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you. Super excited. Uh, Phoenix Championship Weekend? Oh, not yet. We just started. That's right. <laughs> yep, that's coming. <laughs> but this is going to be a good preview for that uh, because we'll get to see the drivers on the one-mile oval at Phoenix Raceway this weekend, not only in NASCAR's uh, uh, Xfinity and Cup Series, but also the ARCA West as well as the ARCA Menard Series are racing together uh, at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. So our first half hour that's what we're going to cover, the combination ARCA and ARCA West race at Phoenix. Uh, you and I had a pre-recorded interview with Raja Karuth with uh, Rev Racing and NASCAR's Drive for Diversity program, uh, and we'll have that for everybody at the 8.40 time frame. And then at 9 o'clock Eastern time, we're going to get into the NASCAR truck updates as well as some ARCA East Series updates. Uh, at about 8.15-ish, we'll start getting into, or 8.20-ish, we'll get into the Xfinity Series preview and then the Cup Series preview at Phoenix. So at 10 o'clock, that's our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan racing crew, and Andy is back. Well, it's good to have Andy back, as always. A pleasure to have him on. But we've had some really great, with uh, Owen coming on for the first time, as well as Tommy filling in for a couple of weeks, uh, was was really cool, a little bit refreshing to be able to talk one-on-one -on -one with those guys. I know we've done some articles and seen uh, their thought process and their analytics, uh, but to have them on the show with us was really cool. Yeah, they really brought uh, a kind of a little bit different dimension to our conversations, and I really appreciate that. And uh, so tonight we're back, I think, with our regular crew, and uh, we'll see how that goes for tonight. Um, but let's go ahead and get into this ARCA West and ARCA Menard Series race at Phoenix Raceway because uh, uh, that's going to take place tomorrow night. Uh, that's March the 12th at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, but that's 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on MAV-TV, and those people who don't have MAV-TV, hopefully you have NBC Sports Gold because it will also be live-streamed on TrackPass uh, for those NBC Sports Gold members. This is a one-mile paved trioval. Uh, it's a one-mile track, so 150 laps is going to equal 150 miles. And uh, there's a lot to look forward to in this race. It is the season opener for the Arkham Menard Series West and the second race of the season for the Arkham Menard Series. This has become Jay, such a great event for the Arkham Menard Series uh, as well as the West. For them, you mentioned it's their season opener. And for the regular Arkham Menard Series, it's kind of like their opener because Daytona is Daytona. you got to kind of throw it out. Uh, you don't always have the same, best finish, let's say, uh, as compared to where you were running. So this is where a lot of the focus really begins. And the joint, joint venture between the two I think is really cool uh, to see them doing now for, what, I think the third year in a row maybe now? 
Yeah, yeah, I think so, second or third. Uh, I'll tell you, what's kind of cool about this race is that it's the only combination race for the ARCA, East, or for the ARCA Menard Series in the ARCA West. And uh, drivers that are going to be entered this weekend are going to get uh, for both series. So that's uh, pretty cool for this event. I did look at that. There's 30 entrants. We're going to see the, the main group of Arkham and Art Series along with the West. And my first thought was, you know, it's kind of an uphill climb for the West drivers. However, trying to put that positive spin on it, again, whether you win or not, how well you run with the, the main series is, uh, is going to add momentum. And if you do win, knowing that you conquered some of the best, you know, we talk about that when Kyle mm-hmm. Busch runs in the Xfinity Series. If you do beat him, you know you've beaten the best. So, And they have a slight, in my opinion, have a slight advantage with it being at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, the Arkham and Ard Series hasn't run out there as much. So the West guys do have that slight advantage, if you will. Yes, they do. Now, you remember last year the champion in the Arkham and Ard Series West was Jesse Love. He's now driving the number 16 for Bill McAnally Racing. He's back again. He raced it at Phoenix last year. So this he is he's, this is not going to be a new track for him. He finished 16th there last spring, and he finished uh, 14th in the series finale there. So that's kind of cool. Uh, also, Cole Moore plans to run the full West Series this year with Bill McAnally racing. He'll be in the number 99. Gracie Trotter uh, wheeled that car last year, and she's in the race as well. Uh, and then you've, we've got Derek Krause returning to the Arkham Menard Series. He's going to be racing in this event. There were definitely a couple of interesting names on there that I saw. Uh, you mentioned um, Derek Krause to see that name back on an entry list for the Arkham Menards as well as Arkham Menards West. The one curious thing, and I know we'll talk about this, is Brett Holmes not being on the list. Yeah, a little surprised to see that. Uh, he does have a car, I think, though, in the event, if I remember correctly. He's not in the car, but there's a Brett Holmes car, I think, that is on the track. I have to remember who's who's driving that car. All right. Uh, scanning down the entry list, and I know we'll get to that. I'll take a peek of that. I hadn't noticed that. Let me just double check. Uh... I'm kind of scanning down as well. Okay, maybe I'm wrong about that. I thought he had an entry that I saw here. I must have uh, I must have dreamed that. <laughs> okay, so uh, a couple of other drivers that we should mention here, Drew Dollar and Corey Heim. Uh, they had some really close finishes at Daytona. Uh, Drew Dollar pushed his teammate, Corey Heim, uh, to the front uh, to get that win at Daytona. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch them race. We had Corey Heim on the show Monday night. So uh, if you haven't heard that interview, you want to go back and listen to that before Friday night's race. Uh, he gave us some great insight. Uh, and Taylor Gray, who ran who through two Arkham and Art Series East races in 21 has established a rivalry now with Joe Gibbs racing Sammy Smith. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, between those two drivers. And then Ty Gibbs is racing this weekend as well. And that's, that's what you call a trump card, uh, if you will. 
Uh, I hate to say it, but to put an odds-on favorite, but you almost have to put that on Ty Gibbs. Uh, there again, though, it's whoever can knock him off if they do, that just adds to the storyline come uh, Saturday. Definitely does. And then Bob Brunkati, uh they're usually uh, right up against Bill McAnally West drivers. Uh, Trevor Huddleston is back in the number nine. And then there's a newcomer, Jake Drew, will be uh, racing this weekend as well uh, with the Bill Bob Brunkati cars. Well, and that's an annual story. We see that each and every year, and I think it's an awesome story to watch, uh, what these teams do for that series. I know McAnally has kind of moved into the truck series and and up, but still uh, providing for the ARCA West and a a development program for these drivers. And to see that rivalry play out year in and year out is always fun. Okay. Uh, we're at seven. We're at eight forty already, so it's time for me to get into our ARCA East driver, Raja Karuth, uh, uh Joined Jay and I yesterday. We did a pre-recorded interview with him, and we're going to play that now. Uh, I thought he gave us some really great insight on several different topics. So we hope you enjoy our interview with Raja Karuth with Rev Racing and NASCAR Striker Diversity. Okay, up next on Fans Racing Radio is our interview with Raja Karuth. He is uh, the driver of the number six for Rev Racing this season, and uh, he's had quite a journey to his racing career. So we'll take a little bit of time just to get to know him, and then we'll also uh, talk to him about, uh, you know, his uh his uh, goals for this year in the uh, Arca Menard Series East, as well as uh, some mentorship that he's getting uh, from the NASCAR ranks. So uh, we're definitely looking forward to talking with Roger Caruth here today, Jay. Uh, this is a pre-recorded interview that we're doing with Roger for our Thursday night show. So, Jay, first of all, welcome to you. All right, thank you, Sharon. Excited, uh, been a while since we we've done this of a pre-recorded. So again, get that thrown in here into the season early on. Always enjoy doing that as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, Roger will be here hopefully in the next uh, couple of minutes or in another minute or so, and we'll be able to talk with him. But Roger, uh, this year is part of the Drive for Diversity program with Rev Racing. He's racing not only the Arkham and Art Series East, but he's also racing, Jay, in the weekly Advanced Auto Parts Touring Series as well. And he's an iRacer. So uh, we've got a lot to kind of chat with him about. It's always cool to, to talk to a driver that, that does that. Uh, the iRacing, I know we've had a couple but coming through the super late models as well, the difference experience, uh, that gradual, we've talked about the, the stepping up levels of stepping up. So what that transition is like and how much one translates to the next without making a big jump. Yes, indeed. Uh, it, it sometimes is a big jump. I don't know if it's that big of a jump from the weekly touring series to the Arkham and Art series, but we, we will definitely get into that with Raja and talk to him about that. 
And also, you know, I, I always hear that the IRA thing is very similar to the tracks uh, and actually getting in the car and racing the tracks. But there are, there, are, there are some differences there as well. Uh, it does give them a feel for the track. The iRacing does a really good job uh, with giving drivers the feel for what tracks are like. And so I'm sure uh, that that helps him as well. And we're seeing more and more iRacers come into NASCAR. I know we talked about this or whether or not this was going to be the future, as we've seen. Again, William Byron may be the most well-known but as as said before, Martin Truex, that's how Dale Jr. Uh, discovered him, was through a very, I want to say primitive, but one of the, uh, not the full-up eye racing, but online racing. Denny Hamlin said that's what helped him win in his rookie season coming out at Pocono for those two races was through a simulation like that. And we know all the top teams are using it now, uh, especially with limited practice, uh, for the, for their team, so it's it's a huge part of racing right now. It, it really is, and Raja is here now. So first of all, we want to say uh, welcome, Raja, to our Fan for Racing Radio. We're happy that you're able to uh, help us out with this pre-recorded interview that we're doing for our Thursday night show. And uh, we've we've been discussing the fact that you're racing the Arkham Menard Series this season. You're part of the weekly touring series uh, with the Advanced Auto Parts uh, weekly touring series. And you're also an iRacer. So let's take the first couple of minutes here to just kind of get to know Roger Carruth and, and how you became interested in racing. Yes, ma'am. First and foremost, thank you guys for having me on. Um, and I really got interested in racing and, and NASCAR in particular from the the Cars movie when I was like five or six years old. And then it just really snowballed as I got older. And, you know, I watched races on TV growing up and got diecast and, and played games like NASCAR 15. And it just really just snowballed and that passion became an obsession. And it, it really kind of streamlined the, the interest of what I wanted to do and that kind of set set me up to you know go to my first race and then from from then on it's tunnel vision in terms of you know what I want to do in the sport exactly and, and t- your parents are such a big part of this I know you and your dad went to the racetrack and and uh, he became a big supporter of uh, helping you get into racing and becoming part of the drive for diversity program Definitely, my, my parents have been a, a huge help. This doesn't happen without them, and I'm really thankful. And um, from helping me with, with school and housing now to taking me to, to races at, at Richmond, Dover, Pocono, Charlotte, um, really a lot of places up and down the East Coast, and um, to help me get into sim racing to begin with, and then uh, continue to um, you know be able to take advantage of this opportunity at Rev Racing. And you know, again, I'm, I'm extremely thankful. Okay. Now, um, I know that uh, last year you did have a win in the uh, weekly touring series at Greenville Pickens, uh, and you're kind of on a fast track with your career through the Drive to for, for Drive. Excuse me for the Drive for Diversity program. Um, so, talk a little bit about what that win meant for you at Greenville Pickens last October. Yeah, that that win was a a huge huge deal personally. Um, 
although, I mean, it was really just a twin 30, but to uh, go to you know, a place that I had never been to before. And um, that, that was kind of a culmination of the, the momentum we had really built from the last really months prior to that was really how good we ran at Florence. And then we went to Hickory and then, you know, ending up there and, and really just showing the, the quality of, of the whole, all the personnel at, at Rev Racing. And in terms of for my career, it was a, a big, um, I guess, jump in the right direction. And personally, just to, you know, not really question myself anymore um, and to just trust the process. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, once that happens, the the next wins uh, are always a little bit easier. But uh, you moved on now to the Arkham Menard Series East. So uh, has that been a huge jump for you, or how has that transition been? Yes, ma'am. I mean, that, that transition, at, at, at first I thought it would be extremely difficult, but um, really after getting uh, New Smyrna and Pensacola under my belt, it, uh, it hasn't been extremely as difficult as I thought it would be, but um, it, it's, it's been a blast. I've got great people around me, um, and just uh, we, we learned, and we, we, with my driver coach, Mark Green, we approach every race the same way, whether it's a legend car a late model stocker, an ARCA, an ARCA car, um, with really the goals of just running all the laps and being there at the end. And, you know, carrying that approach to, to every time I'm in the race car, um, it, it's going to end up well. So um, it's, uh, the, the learning curve was, was steep at first, but now I'm starting to get the hang of it little by little. Okay. Now our co-host is with us today as well, Jay Huseman, and I know he has some questions for you. Oh, but just before I uh, pass the baton over to him, I want to mention that you had a fourth-place finish at Five Life Speedway in Pensacola, uh, and an 11th-place finish, I believe it was, at New Smyrna. So that was kind of a big jump right there in, in talking about your learning curve. So, Jay, I'm going to pass the baton over to you uh, now for some questions. All right. Thanks, Sharon. Uh, I know it's been a while. Uh, I don't remember if we had one on at all last year, but talking about the Drive for Diversity program, just re- remind fans, uh, talk about that that experience of what they do for a driver it's not just a matter of helping you get a ride, but all the other things they walk you through as far as being a NASCAR driver, especially when you get to the top level. Yeah, the, the NASCAR Driver Diversity Program is a, it's a great deal, man. It's, uh, it helps us, obviously, with being able to drive race cars for Max Siegel. And um, on top of that, really, we learn so much about, you know, what it takes to be a race car driver and what you have to do to be all about it and to, you know, not – be be I don't know how to say it, not be spoiled really and to take advantage of the opportunity that's theirs and to be 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 humble and to in addition to that learning about, you know, getting your keeping your body in shape and um, learning how to do different uh, media obligations and uh, how to be an am- ambassador for your sponsors, for your family, for your race team. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you you were what one out of ten, ten that were selected first of all for that combine itself. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Or uh, six. Actually, no, ten, ten, ten. Right, and then and then six got the ride. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, you mentioned there, Max Siegel, Red Racing. I know you, you read that you're a, a very big history buff and, and like to read all about it. What's the history of knowing uh, working with uh, Rev Racing? You mentioned. 
that that team, that's what they're dedicated to is giving that opportunity and being there for young drivers such as yourself uh, of how they go about that whole program as well. You said, man, I'm a, I'm a huge history buff with the sport of, of, of NASCAR and to be in this program with having the, the crazy, I guess the, I don't know how to say the, the big uh, shoes to fill of, of past alumni is, is great. And it, it's proved that the program works and uh, it's, it's motivating as well. All right. My, my final question, Sharon and I were talking about this before you came on again, you kind of already talked about it, which is a good thing means you're learning things from your interview. You know, what's coming uh, for your interview. The iRacing, talk about the transition. She asked about the transition from one card and level to another, but that what can you take from iRacing, but also what you need to pick up once you're on the track? I know I think it was Joey Logano talked about when he uses it for practice. He's a seat-of-the-pants kind of driver. So what is it you got to pick up that you just can't get from iRacing, but what the benefits of the iRacing are? That's a, that's a really good point, man. It's, getting adjusted to going from relying upon your eyes and your, your hands um, to feeling it in your hips, feeling it in your butt. And that that's one of the biggest things I had trouble with to begin with was just learning how to um, how to drive like that and to get used to using, you know, all of your physical senses really to, to know what the race car is doing. Um, but at the same, same time, you know, sim racing has helped me with, with visual stuff and, going to places like that I've never seen before, like Pensacola. Um, and then that'll be the same for when we go to Nashville and Dover and, and different places in South Boston. And so um, it's uh, it's a balance in what you can bring from this in the real life and what you can. Okay. I, I was mistaken. I do have one last question. Have you, have you told your crew chief yet over the radio that you want to hit the reset button once you're on the track? <laughs> uh, no, because then we got to fix it. But the, He'll probably smack me, but uh, no, nah, it's um, I have asked my crew chief for a, uh, I haven't asked him for a snack mid race yet, but I've asked for a water though. Um, All but, right, I'll, I'll have to turn it back I'll over like to you. Oh, go ahead. I'll uh, I like that idea. I'll, I'll bug him next time and ask him if I can get a new car and hit the reset button. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna turn it back over to Sharon. Okay. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think is so great about the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program is we have seen such success with the program with drivers like Kyle Larson now in the in the Cup Series, along with Bubba Wallace, who's now in the in the Cup Series. They came from the Drive for Diversity program, but you have uh, kind of a relationship with Bubba Wallace, uh, and and talk a little bit about how he's mentoring you. Yeah, the, the the relationship with Bubba has been great. Um, he's been a, a very big help to me with just steering me in the right direction, answering all my questions, and you know, being a great mentor. And uh, it's again, it's been awesome, you know, having him take me under his wing and just listening to to his advice and his experiences, and it's been a big help to me. Okay, yeah, that's got to be a huge help because he's, you know, he's going to go through a lot of the same things that you're going through and uh, can can really uh, give you some advice there. Uh, so, you know, that kind of uh, mentoring uh, it, as part of that Drive for Diversity program I think is huge as well. 
now, also, you're uh, right now while you're doing racing two different series, you're also pursuing a degree at Winston Salem uh, in motorsports management. So, talk a little bit about what your goals are there. Yeah, really, uh, my, my goals at Winston Salem State are to graduate and, and have my degree of uh, motorsports management. And uh, really, it was important to go there because to, to go to an HBCU and have that degree where I could use it and have it be related to racing. And so um, I'm excited to be a Ram, and it's extremely fun. It's been fun so far. Okay. And uh, I know that uh, the next race for the Arkham and Art Series East doesn't happen until May, uh, and you've got the weekly touring series in between. But is, how hard is that, waiting so long between the last race uh, that was in February 27th to this next race in the Arkham East that, that doesn't go until May 8th? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a pretty long wait, ma'am. It's uh, It'll be a, a good well, good time though i think because i'll be able to hopefully not overanalyze you know our first two races of the season but also really just learn and and be ready come nashville and get physically better and um also you know go with with my teammate nick to uh his arc menard series races um sad i, I can't go to phoenix this weekend but go to no. with him to like talladega and uh well i guess talladega is the only one in between then besides phoenix but to really be a sponge as well yeah, that's great. Uh, another form of mentorship there that's going on. Uh, and I was going to ask if you were going to be at Phoenix uh, to watch what was going on there, so you already answered that question. Uh, we're at the point, though, Roger, where we have to get ready to say goodbye here, uh, but we hope to have another opportunity to chat with you as the season progresses. Uh, but this is the time of the show where I give you a chance to kind of do any shout-outs that you want to do. Uh, to your team or what uh, sponsors, whatever. Most definitely, man. You know, I, I've really got to thank my family and and you know the whole NASCAR Drive for Diversity program, all of our people here and, and at Rev Racing. Uh, my team owner Max Siegel, he he helps make it all happen, um, along with you know our partners Sunoco and iRacing, UTI and NTI, and um, Special Smiles Dentistry and, and Chevrolet and and everybody that helps get this deal going and you know trust me as an ambassador and as a race car driver and as a young man and so uh, again it's awesome and you know it's uh i'm excited to go to our next race okay well we're excited to be watching you uh at the next race as well that'll be on saturday may the 8th at nashville fairground speedway uh fans that are members of track pass gold uh, we'll be able to watch that on their track pass, those live streaming. And there is a delayed broadcast uh, of that race as well, and we'll get more into that as we preview that race. But, Raja, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on board today and chatting with us. We really appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you guys for having me. Okay. Goodbye now. Okay, that was Raja Karut with Rev Racing. Uh, a really great interview there, Jay, and uh, we'll go back to our live broadcasting. All right. <laughs> okay, Jay. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview with Raja, and uh, he, he did a really good job uh, with uh, our first interview with him. 
He did. So many great things, and that's what I love about this Drive for Diversity program. Part of what they do is take them through that. Uh, We've seen that in in the last five years, uh, these teenagers, 16, 17, 18, that can do such a great interview and the depth of which they can go. Uh, I mentioned he knew what was coming as far as questions or expected. Um, So Mm -hmm. it was really great. The one thing I I did after we did that interview that a follow-up I would have wanted to talk about was one of the drivers that, or former drivers that I didn't realize was a part of that program, the name Mark Green got mentioned. Uh, Can't think of somebody, a veteran, better to be with that program than Mark Green. Yeah, he talked about Mark Green uh, helping him a lot, uh, you know, getting, make, you know, in both series, actually. So, yeah, you couldn't ask for anything, anyone better than that. So that's pretty cool. Okay, we are now, um, we're now uh, ready to get into, let's, let's talk a little bit about, let me ask you first, Jay, uh, who's your pick for this Arca Menard series and Arca West series race at uh, Phoenix? Well, being that you worded it that way, I was going to pick one of, <laughs> pick one from the Arca Menard series as well as the, the Arca West. I think, uh, I think you've got to give the nod to Ty Gibbs, as I mentioned. The overall, uh, I just see him being super strong. On the West series, I would have to, as far as top finishing, and I hope he gets the victory, Trevor Huddleston in that number six for Grimcotti. Uh, I know it's yeah. going to be a, a tough battle, but I think he's one that does have a shot at it, especially at Phoenix, like I mentioned. I definitely think that uh, uh, you're right, that Ty Gibbs is going to be a spoiler maker, but I think there's a couple of other spoiler makers uh, when you think about Derek Krause and Zane Smith, both from the West, uh, and are familiar with that track. I think they have a good chance of being spoiler makers. And let's not forget about Jesse Love, who's had uh, two races on that track, hasn't gotten the results that he really wants, but he's he's the champion and uh, I think uh, he may give a few people a run for their money uh, this week at uh, at Phoenix Raceway as well from the West. But there's also another driver I want to keep an eye on. Um, there a couple of drivers here. Uh, Cole Moore, who is also racing with Bill McAnally Racing this week in that number 99 car, he's done really well in the SRL series and some of the other super late model series out there in the West. So I think he's definitely one to keep your eye on and could be a spoiler maker uh, and kind of a dark horse here. And another is a new driver that's uh, coming in this weekend. I want to keep an eye on her. She's from Brisbane, Australia, and they just uh, put out the press release today. She's going to be driving that number 88 car for their family-owned team. So uh, new sponsorship with HMH construction. Uh, so keep an eye on Bridget Burgess. Uh, I'm really anxious to see how she does. Tony Breidinger is also in this race, as well as Gracie Trotter. She's a regular, uh, and uh, we'll keep an eye on her with Venturini Motorsports. So um, a lot of fun, <laughs> fun drivers to watch in this race. Definitely going to be an interesting review come Monday. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Without any doubt whatsoever in my mind. Okay, the ARCA East, as we mentioned uh, in the the interview that we had 
with Roger really doesn't race again until May the 8th. They'll be racing at Nashville Fairground Speedway. And uh, But if, if we look at their first two races and the series point standings, Sammy Smith is at the top of that list. Yeah, you mentioned that, the battle there. Uh, Going to be a good battle there throughout the East all season long. Uh, Max Gutierrez getting that first win, uh, but Sammy, Sundell, or, uh, sorry, Sammy Smith uh, exuding his uh, dominance there in the second race. So going to be interesting throughout the season there. It is. And, and just on a programming note, I will mention uh, that next Thursday night we do have Max Gutierrez. Uh, scheduled to be on the show. He'll come on at 8.40 p.m., uh, and we'll talk to him about racing his number 30 uh, this year with Rhett Jones Racing and uh, winning that race at, uh, at uh, what race did he win now? Was that the Five Flags Speedway? No. Yeah, he, that was, he picked up the win at, at Five Flags. He did pick up yeah, the win at Five Flags, yes. Okay, he uh, won the Five Flags. Dominated. Corey Heim won the Daytona race. Yeah, dominated there at Pensacola, uh, if you want to look at it from that perspective. He didn't just take it. He took it and ran away with it. <laughs> he did. He did. So we will be talking to him next Thursday night. Uh, now, Taylor Gray uh, is second on the series point standings. Max Gutierrez is third. Mason Diaz is fourth. And Joey Ice from the West is in fifth position there, just 15 points back from the lead. Well, again, a great mix there. I think those are going to be your top contenders throughout the year. But then sixth through tenth, we got a couple there. We had Daniel Dye on a, a week or two back. Parker Retzlaff, I know you said you wanted to keep your eye on him. And then in eighth, Rajah Karuth, who we talked to, to yesterday for tonight's show. Richard Garvey and Carson Cavapo, uh rounding out your top ten. So there again, the East Series definitely building to something big for the season. Definitely. And once again, I mispronounced Joey East, uh, his last name. Uh, I'm always wanting to call it Ice, but it is East. So, um, uh, but yeah, that, what a great group of uh, drivers in this uh, Arkham Menard Series East for this season. I, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. Uh, May 8th is going to start picking up because there's a couple of races in May. We've got a June race, July, August, and September. So two races in the month of May is going to be a big month for the Arkham East Series. And that's where you'll see what we talk about, the cream separating and rising to the top. Uh, I know some of these drivers driving some other series and stuff, uh, getting prepared for that uh, since they don't have as big a schedule and as many on-track uh, opportunities, but they were driving other things to get get ready. Without a doubt, uh, Jay. Now we'll get into the Camping World Truck Series and cover as much as we can there. Their next race is actually at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They'll be racing next weekend, not this weekend, on Saturday, March the 20th. Their race starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on FS1 with their pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Um, 
but let's uh, let's talk about the rookies in this series because uh, there's a couple of them that are doing pretty good. Well, and that's going to continue into Atlanta. Smith and Horsevar continue to lead atop the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. Now, not much changed at the top of the standings following that third race of the year at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last weekend as Chandler Smith did continue to lead Carson Horsevar by a significant points total after the trio of opening races in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Smith was the highest finishing Sunoco rookie contender for the second week in a row after finishing 19th in Vegas. Horsey War was 24th in that race. However, there was a slight shakeup uh, that occurred further down the standings as Chase Purdy and Chris Wright uh, moved up past Haley Deegan into third and fourth, respectively. This comes on the heels of the 23rd place finished by Purdy, while Wright crossed the line 25th. Uh, Deegan recorded a 28th place result. Now, the standings might not stay that way for long as all three drivers sit within four, four points of each other in the standings. Uh, Smith mentioned he's got a big lead at 90 points, has picked up two awards already. Carson Horsevar, the other one with an award for the year, at 68. But then we get into that tight battle we talked about. Chase Purdy at 39, Chris Wright at 37, and Haley Deegan at 35. Tim Viennes has yet to run a race. Uh, yes, indeed. But I, I think, uh, uh, although I know that uh, Chandler Smith's going to be tough to beat, but uh, I think the real battle, like you say, is going to be further down the list. Uh, and it's going to be fun to watch that because these guys want to be as high up on that list as they can possibly be. Now, at Las Vegas, Toyota really uh, dominated the first the top five positions in last week's uh, truck series race at Las Vegas uh, were Toyota Tundra trucks, uh, and they did it with four different teams. So that makes it pretty amazing. Hal Busch Motorsports took the top two positions with John Hunter Nemechek winning, while the uh, owner, Kyle Busch, finished in second place. Austin Hill was third with the Tory Racing Enterprises. Stuart Friesen finished fourth with Hallmark Friesen Racing and Matt Crafton Store Sport Racing number 88 was the fifth place finisher. Toyota bookended the top 10 with Christian Eckes in ninth and Ben Rhodes coming in with a 10th place finish, both being store sport drivers. Now, the balance of the top 10 was filled with Chevrolet. Smith and GMS Racing were sixth. Uh, Grant Infinger's uh, spot start with CR7 Motorsports netted a seventh place finish, and Parker Kligerman's first start of the season gave him an eighth-place finish with Henderson Motorsports. So uh, Toyota really uh, looking strong at Las Vegas on that 1.5-mile track. Well, and I didn't realize they did it with four different teams. That is very uh, impressive. But the, the gamble that really paid off was John, Hemmer, John Hunter Nemechek's on himself there in Vegas. Uh, in the offseason, John Hunter su- surprised many in NASCAR when he announced he was returning to the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series following his first full-time year in the NASCAR Cup Series competition. Now, his reason for pairing with Kyle Busch Motorsports for the 2021 season was clear. He wanted to win. Well, check that off the list. That mission has been accomplished here in that third race. Nemechek led his truck owner across the line to win his first race of the season, and his seventh overall in the series. 
It was his first Camping World Truck Series victory since the spring of Martinsville race back in 2018. Now, the win also marked the first for Nemechek for a team other than Nemco Motorsports, which is owned by his dad, Joe. But the Vegas celebration still had fam- a strong family connection as the Nemechek's became the first father-son pairing to win at Las Vegas Motor Speedway as Joe won the Xfinity Series race back there in 2003. And with the series headed to Atlanta Motor Speedway on Saturday, March 20, for the Freight Auctions 200, Nemechek has to feel comfortable and confident that he can continue winning. Two career wins came at 1.5-mile tracks, including a 2016 victory at Atlanta in the second race of the season. Now, the win at uh, Vegas also brought an additional early-season accolade to Nemechek. He took over the series point lead from Ben Rhodes, and now holds a 14-point advantage over the driver who won the first two races of the season. So we talked about this as far as why. Uh, this is a clear result as to why. Win, win races and go after a championship. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what he's going to do, because guess who's at the top of the series point standings? John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, three races in, he's got his one win that qualifies him for the playoffs. Uh, and right now he's at the top points-wise, with Ben Rhodes, who has two wins into the book, uh, just behind him. So uh, Sheldon Creed is in third place. Uh, Then you've got Matt Crafton and Chandler Smith, the rookie, rounding out the top five here, 60 points from fifth to, to first. But then it starts to get a little bit tighter, and it's eight drivers that go into the playoffs. Uh, in the truck series. So I'm going no, to go 10, all the way down 10 to 12. Now. Oh, 10 now. Okay. So we'll go all the way down to 12th and maybe uh, 14th here just to kind of look at the cutoff here as well. Because you've got uh, from sixth place is Stuart Friesen at 70 points. Nine points behind him is Grant Infinger in seventh place at 79 points. Todd Gilliland in eighth place. He's tied with Johnny Sauter in ninth place at 81 points. One point behind them are two other drivers that are tied, Carson Josefar, one of the rookies, and Austin Wayne Self uh, in 11th place. 12th place is Austin Hill. Uh, He's at 85 points, so he's just three points. So you can see how tight those points are in there. If we go to, to the next positions, Jay, you've got Christian Eckes in 33rd, I'm sorry, in 13th. He's 88 points uh, back. That's just three points behind Austin Hill. One point behind him is Zane Smith, uh, who is tied with Raphael Lassard. And then just uh, four points behind him. Uh, well, I'm probably going a little too deep here, but uh, just four points behind him is Brett Moffat in 16th place. But just look at how tight those points are uh, if you go down that list. I think we're going to see a lot of jockeying for position before this is all said and done. Oh, we we certainly are. Uh, scooting back up to the top, I will say this. Prior to the Las Vegas event, uh, Ben Rhodes having won the first two races, John Hunter Nemechek was still within like 10 or 12 points of him even without the victories, which shows he was running up mm-hmm. front right with Ben Rhodes. So not a big surprise there. Right now, those got to be your two odds-on favorites, as well as the champion, Sheldon Creed. But as you got down the list, you mentioned maybe going too deep. 
and I, I have not been able to confirm this yet, but Grant Enfinger is splitting the ride with Christian Eckes. So they both only have two starts. And as mm-hmm. far as I know right now, are not eligible for the championship. Now, Grant Enfinger has been picking up a ride with another team, as he did with Cody Robaugh. So I don't know if that's in his plans to try and get a waiver. Um, we've seen this before where a driver can compete for the driver points if he uh, makes every race, whether it be with two or three different teams. So stay tuned on mm-hmm. that. I want to get confirmation on that. But that pulls yeah, two of those the... top oh, – Go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I was going to say, that pulls two out of those uh, top 13 that are, have only have two races in. And then you mentioned Zane Smith, Brett Moffitt, an annual championship contender, Timothy Peters uh, returning full-time. I think as the season shakes out, you're right, we're going to see some movement up the list from those drivers. So uh, it will be interesting, and I think that that line, that 10th place line, uh, this is another series. We may see it where a win maybe doesn't even guarantee you in it. You still have to be up there. We'll have to wait and see how it shakes out. Yes, I I really agree with that. And and then you've got to think about drivers like David Gilliland, uh, he's not really racing the full season, but uh, Tyler Ankrum, who was up in the uh, uh, playoff group last year, he's in 31st place, but he's had a, uh, races that haven't really gone his way. He's haven't had an issue just about every race. When he kind of gets things going again, I see him moving up that list pretty quickly, and it would not surprise me to see him get a victory. Uh, then he has to worry about being in that top 20 group. Um, Chase Purdy, as as he gets more races under his belt, I think we'll see him running up front more. Uh, Derek Krause, the same thing, had had some really bad luck uh, in the opening races here in the series. But I certainly see him having a chance to move up that uh, board as the season goes on. Same thing with Tanner Gray. Um, uh, You know, there's just so many drivers that are kind of down on the list right now that I, as the season progresses, I see I, I do think we're going to see them uh, getting wins and moving up this list very quickly. And while, while a couple of them are listed as rookies, uh, Chase Purdy, for example, uh, has had some previous starts. Garrett Krause in only his second year. Ryan Truex coming back, another one that's returning to the series full time. As, as you said, mm-hmm. things get settled in and they get in that groove. Uh, waiting to see who that next driver is to have the breakout year. Uh, you know, I personally still look at Todd Gillen. He's currently an eighth. He's always been right on that verge, whether it be with KBM or now with uh, Front Row Motorsports, right on that verge. And he's come out pretty strong this year. Uh, needs to still step yes. up just a little bit, though. Absolutely. He doesn't want to be on that bubble worried about whether he can keep it, uh, especially with the points as tight as they are already. Uh, with three races in, and I know that point spread might um, might get bigger as the season goes along. But I got to tell you, I think it's going to be just as tight as it is right now. I do. I really think the Truck Series bubble is maybe the one of the most intense to watch throughout the season. Uh, we've seen some good battles on the Cup Series. Xfinity is normally a little bit more of a gap, but again, this year could be a year of change when it comes to that, as what from what we've seen in the Xfinity Series so far. Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, and, and again, we'll just have fun watching it <laughs> as the season progresses. 
Uh, we always enjoy the truck series and the Xfinity series as well as the Cup series. But uh, the 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 intensity of these races is pretty amazing. Uh, they get a lot done in a very short amount of time, for sure. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series because they are racing this weekend. Uh, they're racing the Call 811 Before You Dig 200, presented by Arizona 811 uh, at Phoenix Raceway. They're racing on Saturday, March the 13th, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, FS1 will have the pre-race coverage starting at 5 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Now, uh, it's a one-mile track, so 200 laps equals 200 miles, and the first two stages will be 45 laps apiece with stage two ending on lap 90, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 200. So uh, what are some of our updates here in the Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, I'll give some notes on junior motorsports and the manufacturers, and then I'll let you do the rookie update as well as Kevin Harvick news there. Uh, To start with, junior motorsports has announced that they have entered a partnership with Tire Pros, the nation's largest franchise network of independent tire dealers for 2021. Always like to see that with new partners coming on uh, on board. And then in the manufacturer update, uh, this word got thrown all, around a lot on the radio, uh, different shows. Manufacturer update, the parody. With A.J. Allmendinger's win at Las Vegas, Chevrolet broke a three-way tie and is now leading the manufacturer's championship with two wins and 147 points. The Toyota is second with one win and 144 points, only three back. And Ford is in third with one win and 140 points. You can't ask for anything more than that when it comes to a championship battle, even within the manufacturer. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, that is tight, and uh, uh, it's going to be fun to watch to see how that continues uh, to uh, uh, show up on the track week in and week out. Okay, now let's talk about the Snoko Rookie Update. Josh Berry is now in the lead for the Snoko Rookie of the Year honors with 71 points. Uh, and that's saying something. He is the new rookie that's racing with Junior Motorsports this season. Ty Gibbs, can you believe it, is actually second at 50 points, and Ryan Vargas is in third at 47. Jordan Anderson and Sam Mayer are fourth and fifth because both drivers haven't made a start yet in the series so far this season, and we've talked a little bit about that as part of our hot topics, uh, how difficult it is for them to make it into this Xfinity Series race with no qualifying sessions. So uh, uh, it's playing out here in this Sunoco Rookie Update. You got to wonder what it would be if if either one of those drivers were were able to race along with these guys. Uh, that's certainly a, a wonderful thing to think about. Unfortunately, the way it plays out, as you mentioned, we haven't been able to see play out on track. Exactly. Now, also, some news coming up this weekend with Kevin Harvick announcing that he's backing, uh, heading back to the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series. Uh, I think that's going to be good news for fans of both of those series. Kevin Harvick is competing in three Xfinity Series races this year in support of his role as a brand ambassador for the 
for Xfinity, and it also is going to help him gain more road experience. He's going to kick off his three races in the Xfinity Series at Circuit of the Americas, and then he's going to hit the track again in the Xfinity Series race at Road America. His final race there will be at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course in August. Now, Harvick is also a two-time Xfinity Series champion. He won in 2001 and again in 2006, and he has 47 wins in that series. He is also going to be piloting a Ford Mustang for Stuart Hawes Racing in all three of those events. So I think that's going to be good because we've seen Stuart Hawes kind of struggling a little bit, uh, and so I think he's going to be able to give them some really good feedback there. So before he heads back to the Xfinity Series, he's already he'll already join the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, for, guess this, the Bristol Dirt Race on March the 27th. This will be his 124th start in the Truck Series, and he's going to pilot the number 17 for David Gilliland Racing. So a lot to look forward to there with Kevin Harvick on the entry list. Uh, three races in the Xfinity Series, and then the Bristol Dirt Race in the Truck Series. And I believe we have that as one of our hot topics for later on tonight. If not, I will go on and add it because there, there's some different intriguing things there to look at um, as we break that down and talk about it later on tonight. Now, the team to watch this All weekend right. uh, as we head into Phoenix is College Racing. The 2021 Xfinity Series season started off extremely strong for Colleague Racing Camp and even more so for A.J. Almendinger with his win on Saturday at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Right now, all three Colleague Racing Chevrolets are sitting in the top ten in the point standings. Almendinger is already now in the playoffs with his win, and Jeb Burton and Justin Haley's efforts at Las Vegas put all three cars into the top ten finishing positions. Burton has finished in the top 10 in all four of his starts and finished in the top five in three of those. Haley has finished in the top 10 in three of those four starts, and Almendinger finished in the top 10 twice and top five twice, once being the victory. When we look ahead to this weekend at Phoenix, College Racing as a team has 12 starts at the track with one top five and seven top 10s. Last season, Haley finished uh, fifth and eighth in both races at the Arizona track, and Ross Jastain finished ninth and seventh for the organization. Now, Burton has only one Xfinity Series start at the track, and that was in 2016 for Richard Petty Motorsports when he started 15th and finished 17th. Haley, he'll be making his fifth start at Phoenix on Saturday, where he has one top five and three top tens at the track. Almendinger has two starts at Phoenix from 2007-2008, where he finished 13th and 12th. He'll be making his first start at the track since then come Saturday. When we look at an average driver rating, Haley is at a 90, 91.2, Burton at a 75.2, and Almendinger at 73.8, all three of which are in the top 15. So definitely a, team, a whole team you want to keep your eye on. Okay. Now, another announcement came out this week with our motorsports. 
uh, running the number 23 for the rest of the season. Uh, so that, and that's the Xfinity Series season, of course. Uh, they will run along with the full-time number 02 Chevrolet driven by Brett Moffat. He is replacing the number three, which was originally expected to run full-time in 2021, but the team didn't have the proper amount of owner points in order to field an entry on a full-time basis. So our motorsports has acquired the number 23 from RSS Wing, who ran the first two races with Jason White and Natalie Decker behind the wheel in partnership with Rayon Brothers Racing. Now the number 23 is uh, being fully run and operated by our motorsports. Tyler Reddick ran the number 23 last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He finished 12th after starting 40th. Moffat has run in all four races this season in the number 02. He finished runner-up in the season opener at Daytona and went in went on to start first in the Daytona road course and finished 11th. He finished 7th at Homestead and last weekend at Las Vegas, he finished 34th. Now, Blaine Perkins is going to pilot the number 23 this weekend at Phoenix Raceway, making his Xfinity Series debut. Uh, Perkins is 20 now, and he ran the Arkham Menard Series West in 2020. And in his 11 season starts, he's had three wins, eight top five finishes, and finished second in the series point standings. The Xfinity Series 21 season has started out with four different winners and two of them were first-time winners and maybe a little bit unexpected to kick off the season. Started with Austin Sindrick uh, continuing his winning ways as the reigning Xfinity Series champion. He won the season opener at Daytona securing his spot in the playoffs. Ty Gibbs then went on to win the Daytona Road Course in his first ever Xfinity Series start, adding his name to the record books. Gibbs' win doesn't guarantee a spot in the postseason, however, due to him only running a part-time schedule this year. So uh, I know that they opened up some spots for him. Uh, He's going to race a few more races, but I still don't know that it's a full-time schedule. Next, Myatt Snyder won at Homestead Miami Speedway, uh, securing his spot in the playoffs and grabbing his first career win. And most recently, A.J. Allmendinger won in his first full-time season since 2018 with college racing and stamped his ticket into the playoffs as well. Now, with the start of the season bringing new winners, the playoff outlook has shuffled the driver standings. Although it's only three races in and there are already a couple of new faces in the top 12, Daniel Hemrick is still the highest-ranked driver without a win, followed by his Joe Gibbs Racing teammate, Brandon Jones, in fifth. Colleague Racing teammates Jeb Burton and Justin Haley are taking the sixth and seventh spot in the standings, as all three Colleague Chevrolets are currently in the top 10 of the point standings. Jeremy Clements and Brandon Brown, two drivers on small family-owned teams, are ninth and 10th. Junior Motorsports' Noah Gregson has finally made his way back into the top 12 in series point standings. Gregson's season started off tough, and last week at Las Vegas, he got his best finish of the season so far in fifth. He's currently occupying the last and final playoff spot. 
So uh, we've got three drivers that are in on wins, uh, another nine drivers that are there on points. So, um, again, Daniel Hemrick, the highest without a win, followed by Brandon Jones, Jeb Burton, Justin Haley, Harrison Burton, Jeremy Clements, Brandon Brown, Michael Lynette, and Noah Gregson. Austin Sinrick, A.J. Allmendinger, and Maya Snyder occupy the top three spots with victories. All right. Well, another little bit of shuffling there uh, that was mentioned. Uh, Loris Hesman is going to make his debut uh, with MBM Motorsports and then Reum Brothers Racing teaming up. Loris Hesman's the 2019 NASCAR Wheeling Euro Series champion will pilot the number 13 Reum Brothers Racing Chevrolet with sponsorship from Hesburgh Systems in two NASCAR Xfinity Series races this season. The first race will be this weekend at Phoenix Raceway, 811 before you dig 200, presented by Arizona 811. It'll mark Hesman's oval track debut. Hesman's, who is a six-time NASCAR Wheel and Euro Series winner, finished 22nd at Road America in his debut back in 2019. Now, due to a change in situations, Reum Brothers Racing needed to partner with MBM Motorsports to field their Xfinity Series entry and gain a starting spot. David Starr was originally piloting the number 13, but but, but will now move to the number 61 for Phoenix. Reum Brothers Racing prepared the cars for the various events, but MBM has taken over the cars to help them field the entry and give them a starting spot. Because the number 61 is a partnership with Hattori Racing Enterprises, but run by MBM Motorsports, it must be a Toyota. Hesman's will be piloting a Chevrolet. And the last note here, Tim Hill will remain in the number 66 for MBM Motorsports. So I know there's a lot of complication things there. Uh, you can look at the chart uh, on jsky.com to follow up on that. Uh, other than that, I can't give a whole lot of update to it. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, we do have a driver that's jonesing for another win, and that's Joe Gibbs Racing Brandon Jones, who took home the victory last season at Phoenix Raceway in the spring, the last race that felt normal before the COVID-19 pandemic caused a break in the racing action. Now, Jones started eighth. He led 24 laps uh, and rocked to his second career victory in the Xfinity Series. He drives the number 19 Toyota, of course, for Joe Gibbs Racing, and has had a strong start to the 2021 season. In the season opener at Daytona, he finished 38th after being involved in a crash, but that's the only race finish in the top five. At the Daytona Road Course, he finished fourth. At Homestead, Miami, he finished runner-up. And last weekend at Las Vegas, he finished third. So it's been a really good start. To the season for uh, Brandon Jones, with the exception of that first Daytona opener, and uh, he won last year at Phoenix. He's, he was picked before I had a chance, uh, but I think Jones will be one to watch at Phoenix this weekend. Well, especially, again, Joe Gibbs Racing, always a team to watch, and we have seen Brandon Jones, another one. We've seen him start picking up victories to see him be up there consistently and truly battle for the championship. I think this could be his season. Let's see what, uh, okay. 
Valiant uh, we'll take a look at some of the facts. Yeah, I wanted to see if we wanted to do those first, but it looks like we got plenty of time. So run through some of the, the fast facts from the Valley of the Sun. There have been 38 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Phoenix Raceway. The inaugural race on November 6, 1999, was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon from the third starting position. The 38 Xfinity races at Phoenix have produced 19 different pole winners and 20 different race winners. William Byron holds the record for the youngest race winner in 2017 when he did so at 19 years, 19 months, and 13 days. Greg Biffle holds the record for the oldest winner in 2009 at 39 years, 2 months, and 25 days. Ten races have been won from the starting position, and the last race won from the pole was Kyle Busch back in 2016. Elliot Sadler holds the race record at Phoenix at 116.317 back in 2012. And Kyle Busch also holds the qualifying record at 138.504 miles per hour coming back in 2015. i repeat that name. Kyle Busch holds so many of the Xfinity Series records at Phoenix Raceway. He has the most starts of any active driver at 24, the most poles at 10, he has the most wins at 11, tied for the most top fives with Kevin Harvick at 17, and has the most top tens at 20. He also has the most lead lap finishes at 23, the most laps completed at 4,702, and the most laps led at 2,234. Now, last season's spring race at Phoenix was won by, mentioned, Brandon Jones. Harrison Burton finished second, and Kyle Bennett, Kyle Busch was third, Brad Keselowski finished fourth, and Justin Haley fifth. Now, we're only going to see a couple of those, uh, Burton and Jones and Haley, in the race this weekend, though. Okay, it's going to still be fun to see how those guys uh, uh, do out at Phoenix Raceway. Now, let's just take a quick review of the race last week at Las Vegas when A.J. Allmendinger hit the jackpot. He took the lead on the final restart of Saturday's race in Sin City with 12 laps left to run. He earned his fourth Xfinity Series win in the last 16 races. This was his first race at the track in three years in the number 16 college Chevrolet, Chevrolet, and he was able to hold off a very hard-charging Daniel Hemrick, who led 74 of the 200 laps. Now, Almendinger was very emotional after the race, as this was his first full-time season with NASCAR since 2018 when he was competing in the NASCAR Cup Series. So for Hemrick, it was a tough outcome once again. He has 11 National Series career runner-up finishes. He led eight different times. He won stage two. And in the first four races so far this season, Emmerich has finishes of third twice and a runner-up finish once. He's not finished outside of the top ten in any race. So Saturday marked his eighth runner-up finish in the Xfinity Series. Dale Jarrett actually holds the record for the most runner-up finishes in the series. Before his first victory, he had 10 second-place results. Brandon Jones finished in third place. Austin Sendrick finished fourth after winning stage one and leading 43 laps. Noah Gregson was the fifth-place finisher, followed by Michael Annette, Josh Berry, 
Justin Haley, Harrison Burton, and Jeb Burton rounding out the top ten. Now, the Xfinity Series will be back out west, of course, this weekend at Phoenix Raceway for Saturday's race, and it will be the 200 miles and 200 laps. Hemrick will start from the pole position with his JGR teammate, Brandon Jones, joining him on the front row, and Cindric is starting third with Almendinger in fourth and Haley rounding out the top five. So, again, I think this is going to be an interesting race to watch. Um, I do think Daniel Hemrick's been knocking on that door, and with him being a West driver, I just have a feeling he just might be knocking on the door of Phoenix. Speaking of somebody taking a driver before somebody else has a chance to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he's been really close that he's going to have that breakthrough win this weekend. We know it's coming, and I I was ready to pick him, having to pick pick towards the uh, tail end there. I thought I might get away with sneaking in there with him, but uh, apparently not. Okay, sorry about that. But uh, I had to go. I kind of went with what my bones were telling me this time. Okay. Uh, Let's go ahead and move into the NASCAR Cup Series. Hopefully we can get this done in time. You can do an update with the um, uh, fantasy group here as we transition into Hot Topics, Jay. So the Instacart 500 at Phoenix Raceway will be held Sunday, March the 14th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will start at 3 p.m. on Fox. And then, of course, the radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 312 miles. That means 312 laps. Uh, there's Actually, it's 75 laps uh, in the first stage. The second stage ends on lap 190, and then the final stage ends on lap 312. So uh, let's take a look at what our updates are here in the Cup Series. Well, the first one is about food. I always like that. King's Hawaiian is to to brand dining areas at Daytona, Kansas, Phoenix, and Richmond. NASCAR and King's Hawaiian announced this week a multi-year track official partnership that secures the family-owned bakery naming rights to dining areas at four of NASCAR-owned facilities. We mentioned Daytona International Speedway, Kansas Speedway, Richmond Raceway, and Phoenix Raceway. And King's Wine will work with NASCAR's hospitality partner, Levy, to offer branded and regionally-themed menu items at each venue. King's Wine celebrates the start of its NASCAR partnership on March 12th through 14th during the fifth race weekend of the season here at Phoenix Raceway, where it'll debut both the King's Hawaiian Grill at Phoenix Raceway and the King's Hawaiian Food Court at the Phoenix Raceway. So I wonder if that Pierre is going to show up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now limited tickets for Atlanta are going fast, so we're letting you know now that the grandstand seats for the March 21 Bulls of Honor Quick Trip 500 at Atlantis Motor Speedway are sold out. The Speedway sold the last of its available tickets, grandstand tickets, for the Cup Series event today, uh, and that is Thursday, reaching the capacity currently limited 
uh, permitted, currently limit, currently permitted by the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp's executive order. While the grandstands have reached their approved capacity for this race, fan experiences like infield camping, trackside camping, climate-controlled fan suites, and Club One access for Sunday, March 21st, are still available for purchase. So um, Atlanta Motor Speedway estimates 20,000 fans will be in attendance in its socially distanced grandstands and suites for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, uh, you might want to look at some of those other options out at Atlanta because there's going to be some great racing taking place all weekend long. All right. We got another celebrity uh, announced for Grand Marshal in Phoenix is Jason Biggs will be it. He hosts uh, Fox's Cherry's Wild and he'll serve as the Grand Marshal for Sunday, Sunday's Instacart 500 at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, Biggs' previous roles include the Netflix series Orange is the New Black, the movies American Pie, and now most recently in the Fox comedy Outmatched. The Cherry's Wild is a fast-paced half-hour trivia game show created by, or by creator and executive producer Wes Cobble. The show feature, features two rounds of pop culture, pop culture trivia gameplay during which the team of two contestants will try and solve the slots in hopes of getting one step closer to winning the life-changing $250,000 jackpot. At the end of each episode, when they spin the reels on the enormous three-story slot machine, contestants will attempt to capture all five wild cherries to win that ultimate cash prize. And you can watch Cherries Wild on Fox Sunday following Sunday's NASCAR race. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Normally does come on right after the race. Okay. Spinning the tires. We've got some former series champions uh, in the series that are off to a slow start. Four races into the 2021 season, none of the former active NASCAR series champions have celebrated in victory lane yet. It's the first time since 2008 that a former series champion hasn't won in the first four races of the season. But fortunately for all of these champs, Phoenix Raceway is up next, and most have run well in the desert. 2020 season champ Chase Elliott scored his first victory at Phoenix Raceway last November when it spoils the, and he spoiled the championship. He's now 25 years, I shouldn't say, for the spoils of the championship. Now the 25-year-old is looking to become the seventh driver in series history to win consecutive races at Phoenix, joining Davey Allison, who did it in 91 and 92, Jeff Burton in 2000 and 2001, Dale Earnhardt Jr. did it in 2003 and 2004, Kevin Harvick swept in 2006, and then again in 2013 to 2015. Jimmy Johnson won in 2007 and 8. was a sweep. Uh, 2008 was a sweep. And Kyle Busch did it in 2018 and 19. Elliott has made 10 series starts, posting a win, three top fives, and six top tens. The only active multiple cup champion, 2015 and 19, is Kyle Busch. And four races into the 2021 season, he's 14th in the series points with two top tens. A win this weekend would be a perfect jump start to his 2021 
campaign. Among active drivers, Bush has the second most wins at Phoenix with three victories and 31 starts at that one-mile track. He also has put up 12 top fives and 22 top tens. The 2018 series champ, Joey Logano, is the defending winner of this race, and I seriously considered him as well. Uh, he led 60 laps and route to the victory. Now, Phoenix has been good to Logano in 24 starts. He's amassed two wins, six top fives, and 13 top tens. Expect Logano to challenge for the win this weekend. He won the spring race last season and finished third in the season finale. In 2017, the 2017 series champion, Martin Truex Jr., spun his tires in Daytona, finishing 25th, and ever since has been trying to rebound. Through four races this season, the former champ has just one top five and two top tens. A win is exactly what Truex needs. The New Jersey native is currently 20 on a 29-race winless drought the largest among active former champions dating back to Martinsville when he won on June 6th, I'm sorry, June 10th last year. Now, Truex has made 30 starts at Phoenix, most among active drivers without a win at the track, posting four top fives and 12 top tens. In 14, the series champ Kevin Harvick is and will continue to be the favorite whenever the series heads to Phoenix Raceway. That that's a distinction that he has earned. Harvick leads the series and wins at Phoenix with nine victories. This weekend, he has the opportunity to become, to become just the sixth driver to win 10 or more races at a single track, joining Richard Cuddy, Daryl Waltrip, Dale Earnhardt, David Pearson, and, of course, Jimmy Johnson. All right, well, we look at last weekend. Yeah, we look at last weekend. That playoff list uh, already grown in short order as Kyle Larson added his name. And it didn't take long. Actually, he was the quickest to do it in Hendrick Motorsports history. And that's when, that is. Kyle Larson, in just his fourth start with Hendrick Motorsports, drove his number five Chevrolet to victory lane at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and in short order, locked himself into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, joining Michael McDowell, Christopher Bell, and his Hendrick Motorsports teammate, William Byron. Now, plus, all four winners this season have qualified for the NASCAR Cup Series All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway, where they'll compete for $1 million coming up on June 13th. Larson's win also catapulted him up the standings to third, just 40 points back from Denny Hamlin, who is in the series standings lead. In four starts this season, Larson has put up a win, two top fives, and three top tens. We can expect Larson's ascension not to slow this weekend at Phoenix. In 13 starts at the one-mile track, he has posted five top fives and seven top tens, including a runner-up finish back in 2017. So we'll see if that streak, uh, hot streak can continue. I wonder if any of our fan racing crew considered this. Arizona's McDowell and Bowman are hyped to race at home. It will be an extra special welcoming home this time around for Arizona native and front row motorsports driver Michael McDowell, who kicked off this season with a big win 
in the Daytona 500, his first series career victory. McDowell from Glendale will be joining this weekend, joined this weekend at Phoenix Raceway by fellow Arizonan and Hendrick Motorsports driver Alex Bowman from Tucson, as both drivers look forward to competing in their hometown in front of their hometown fans. McDowell is having a career season. Not only did he win the biggest race in NASCAR, the Daytona 500, but he's also locked himself into the playoffs for the first time in his career. What's even more impressive is he hasn't been a flash in the pan either. In four starts this season, he's put up three top ten finishes, and his only finish outside the top ten this season was last weekend when he finished 17th at Las Vegas. McDowell is ranked ninth in the driver's standings, and he's put up an average finish of 8.0 so far this season. Now, while McDowell has been riding in a career high of success, Alex Bowman has been on a roller coaster of up and downs through these first four races. The Tucson native started 2021 looking really fast. He won the pole for the Daytona 500, but not long after that, chaos came in. Bowman would finish 35th in the season opener because of a multi-car incident. Bowman and the number 4800 Motorsports team, though, did bounce back the next two weekends when he finished 10th on the Daytona Road Course and 9th at Homestead, Miami. But the resurgence slowed down last weekend at Las Vegas when he finished 27th. His average finish this season is 20.2. So Bowman now finds himself 18th in the Cup Series driver standings. He's four points behind Chris Buescher, who holds the 16th spot, and that's the final playoff transfer spot. Now, both McDowell and Bowman are looking to perform this weekend at Phoenix. McDowell has made 20 series starts at Phoenix, posting his best finish of 16th in the event just last year, and Bowman's made 11 series starts at the one-mile track in the Valley of the Sun. He collected one pole and one top-ten finish, which was a sixth in 2016. So uh, kind of fun to see that both of these guys have a lot to celebrate uh, in front of their hometown crowd. Well, so far we haven't seen Denny Hamlin celebrate a victory, but he does continue to hold the Cup Series driver standings lead. Joe Gibbs Racing driver has been off to a fast start, finishing inside the top five in three of the first four races of the season but the current NASCAR Cup Series driver's point standing leader is still looking for that first win of the season and hopes to rectify that this weekend in Phoenix. Now, Hamlin is a stout 38 points ahead of Team Penske's Brad Keselowski in second in the driver's standings following Las Vegas. Now the Chesterfield, Virginia native is looking to lock himself into the playoffs with a win, and this weekend's venue, Phoenix Raceway, is a place he is quite familiar with. In 31 starts at Phoenix, Hamlin has posted two poles, two wins coming in 2012 and 19, 14 top fives, and 18 top tens. Plus, his average finish at the one-mile track is 11.032, which is third best among active drivers. So Hamlin's confidence this weekend should be high, and the NASCAR pre-race loop data has him ranked in the top five of several key categories heading into Phoenix. The average running position of 11.220 is fifth best. 
A driver rating of 98.4 is fourth best. 492 fastest laps run is third best. And 7,071 laps in the top 15, which is 73.1%, is fourth most. Now, last season, Hamlin finished 20th in the spring race, but was fourth in the season finale back here at Phoenix last year. Okay. Going into Phoenix, though, we have an active streak that is very much alive. Could we see a fifth different winner to start the season? With four different winners to start this season, the question begs, will we see a fifth? It has happened before in the modern era of 1972 to 21. Five different winners to start the season has happened, would you believe it, 14 times uh, to go through this list. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess they're going backwards. Okay, uh, 2017, 14, 13, 11, 2005, 2003, and 2001, 2000. In 98, 93, 91, 86, 84, and 79. The modern era record of different winners to start a NASCAR Cup Series season is 10. That was set back in 2000. Dale Earnhardt Jr. snapped the streak, winning his second race of of the 2000 season at Richmond in race number 11. So in 2000, uh, Dale Jarrett won at Daytona. Then it was Bobby Labonte at Rockingham. Jeff Burton in Las Vegas. Dale Earnhardt in Atlanta, Ward Burton at Darlington, Rusty Wallace at Bristol, Dale Earnhardt Jr. won at Texas, then it was Mark Martin at Martinsville, (laughs) that's kind of funny, Jeff Gordon in Talladega, and Jeremy Mayfield at Auto Club Speedway. And I guess it was uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. who won that second race, or that next race, uh, to break that streak. Now, the modern era, again, 1972 to 2001, is the record uh, for the most different NASCAR Cup Series winners in a single season in its entirety is 19. That was set back in 2001. The series has also seen a total of 18 different winners, second most in a single season twice, then 2002, and again in 2018. There are seven former NASCAR Cup Series Phoenix winners entered this weekend looking for their first win of the 2021 season. That includes Kevin Harvick, who has nine wins at the track, Kyle Busch with three wins at Phoenix, Denny Hamlin has two, Joy Logano, two, Ryan Newman, two, Chase Elliott won, and Kurt Busch won. None of those drivers have won yet this season, so that all of them would love to get their first win at Phoenix this weekend. Well, there's some interesting stats there if one were to do an article on that streak, so uh, take a few notes there. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to kind of breeze through this next one, Jay. All right, Phoenix Raceway is looking to host the 50th Cup Series race from 1988 through here in 2021. The gem facility of Phoenix Raceway is set for the one-mile track for the 50th time in series history. The first race was back at the Checker 500, November 6, 1988. Uh, was led by, I'm sorry, Jeff Bodine started on the pole, while Ricky Rudd dominated the race, leading 183 laps. 
but finished 26th. And NASCAR Hall of Famer Alan Kowicki out of Greenfield, Wisconsin, won his first Cup Series Kerr race. And that was where the Polish victory lane or victory lap actually started, going counterclockwise and his salute to the crowd on his way to victory lane. Since then, debuting in 88, the 49 Cup races have produced 25 different pole winners, 25 different race winners. Joe Gibbs Racing, Kyle Busch, Roush Fenway Racing's Ryan Newman lead the series in poles with uh, four each. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the series in wins with nine. And the track is no stranger to big events. Since the inception of the playoffs, Phoenix has uh, participated in the postseason from 04 to 2021 and has served as the pendulant race from 2005 to 2019 and then was named for the championship race starting in 2020. Last season, Tim Penske's Joey Logano won the spring race, and Hendrick Motorsports' Chase Elliott won the season finale and the 2020 series title. So this weekend's race, the Instacrat uh, 500, uh, will be the 312 laps as broken down into the three stages Sharon mentioned, 75 laps, second stage at 115, and then the final on lap 190. The lineup for the race has been determined by the metric qualifying. Team Penske's Brad Keselowski will start from the pole, and last week's winner and Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson is going to be with them on the front row. All right, we did it. We got through all of that. And uh, because it is the top of the hour, we're at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. It is now time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining that, joining us for that is uh, our co-host for Hot Topic, Sandy Lasky. Welcome back. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> How's it going tonight? So well, uh, thank you. Uh, it's good to have you back. Also joining us is our Mike Orzel. Hello. All right. So we've got a full house here tonight, back with the regular crew. And uh, Andy, as our co-host and uh, returning, let's have you uh, kick us off for the hot topics tonight. The yeah, first one we'll look at is um, Kevin Harvick announces this week that he'll run three Xfinity races uh, to include uh, Coda, Road America, Indianapolis Road Course, as well as the Truck Series uh, Bristol Dirt Race this uh, coming up here in a few weeks. Oh. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, but, Mike, let's hear your thoughts about that announcement. Uh, it's good. Doesn't really surprise me if you look at the uh, the kind of common denominator between all those races. They're all tracks that we haven't been to before in the Cup Series, and I'm willing to bet Kevin Harvick might be the first of several Cup guys that we see entering the uh, the lower tier series races for these events. Uh, since some of them will have practice, some of them will not. Uh, I know Coda is going to have some practice in qualifying, but, you know, it's a completely new facility, and I don't believe anybody in the Cup Series has ever run an event at Coda. Um, so it's definitely track time is going to be at a premium for these guys, so it doesn't surprise me to see Kevin Harvick take advantage of an opportunity to turn some laps on the racetrack beforehand, um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see other guys do it. I am kind of surprised, though, that NASCAR didn't put a moratorium on doing something like that like they did for the Daytona Road Course last year, though. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, that, that's an interesting point, being that NASCAR did restrict that when it came to the Daytona Roval. Um, but I think this is a, is a good thing for, on multiple levels. 
and I think there's several layers to this. I know it says that he's doing it for the road course experience. Uh, he's not the top ace when it comes to road racing, but he's no slouch either. So I found that kind of interesting. They are obviously uh, new tracks we haven't been to, but it also says he's doing it as an ambassador. And it, it makes me wonder, we talked about whether or not Harvick is one that would return to the owner ranks when his driving career is done, if that's something that leads into it, as well as we've looked at the struggles of Stuart Haas racing, both at the cup level and in the Xfinity Series side. So bringing a veteran driver down there for some races uh, that parallel with you know the, what he needs on the cup level, uh, I think there I think there's several layers to it and benefits to it as we go along. Yeah, Jay, I agree with you, and and you're thinking right along the same lines that I'm thinking. Stuart House Racing has been struggling this year, and uh, Kevin Harvick is a guy that. Uh, uh, could uh, really bring back some good feedback. I don't know how much um, feedback he's going to be able to give to the cup cars from the trucks because he's running. He's also running the Bristol Dirt Race, by the way, uh, as well as those three Xfinity Series race, races. And and I think you're right too, Mike, in that you know these are races that we've not raced at before in the Cup Series, so this gives him a chance. Uh, to maybe get some experience on those tracks before he races. It's the only driver that I know of that has run any laps at all at Coda uh, is Kurt Busch, and I think that was done as more of a promotional thing uh, that he did, and this was a few years back. I remember being in Texas when they made the announcement that he was there at Coda, and I thought about going out to the track to watch uh, to see what he was going to to watch him on the track. Um, But I didn't get an opportunity to do that. But he's the only driver that I know of that's run any kind of laps on that track. And there's a lot of difference between what he was doing as a promotional thing and what they're going to be doing in a race. Um, But um, I think both of you kind of hit hit the nail on the head, but I agree with Jay that there's a lot of layers to this uh, and a lot of opportunities. Keep in mind, too, um, that this gives some big name, uh, a big name to both of these series as well, uh, for to keep fans interested in both of those series as far as attending those races. So uh, I think there are multiple layers to it and uh, a lot of benefits as well as, uh, you know, kind of a head scratcher as to why they wouldn't uh, put a moratorium on it. Uh, this year when they did last year. And the only thing I can think of in relationship to that is the fact that the more people they can get into the stands, it's going to benefit everybody. And if uh, these guys bring, if if Kevin Harvick and any other driver that uh, decides to do this uh, is going to be at the track, it's going to bring new people to the track. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I really look at it as just, kind of a smart move on his part um you know kevin doesn't have a dirt racing background so for him to be able to get in the truck the, the day before uh and get some laps you know in a vehicle that's um, close to the same weight as a cup car is pretty smart i know that there's some other drivers that will run some of the late models and other events at bristol to get uh, used to the track but um you know i think the only thing that's probably going to come close to what a cup car feels like is the truck and so probably not the first and only cup driver we'll see enter this event. So 
uh, you can see why he'd do that. And the same with the road courses. I think it's just an opportunity to learn tracks that he's never been to before. And, and I think you'll, you'll probably see some other cup guys do the same thing. So, um, yeah, good opportunity for, um, you know, fans to come see Harvick in uh, the truck in the Xfinity series for um, four extra races this year. I think it's the first time since 2018 that he's driven anything but a cup car. So it's been a few years, but um certainly makes sense when you look at him just simply trying to learn and, and get better at tracks that he's never uh, been to before. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, Kevin Harvick actually swore off Xfinity Series racing uh, back in 2018, I believe it was, when Ross Chastain wrecked him at Darlington. I think he swore off Xfinity Series racing. So Kevin Harvick coming out of retirement, no word yet whether Ross Chastain is going to be in that race and re-retire Kevin <laughs> Harvick. Um, other thing of note, uh, they did do a Goodyear tire test at Coda this past week, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, I know Chase Elliott participated in it. I'm not sure who else. I think it was two or three other drivers. Martin, so there are a couple Trent, more drivers Trent, in the field who have done tire tests. Okay, yeah, so there's there's a handful of drivers who've done some sort of laps there. But I don't, I don't think anyone is – obviously, no, there's nobody in, uh, in NASCAR currently who's done Formula One, and I don't think there's any other series that our drivers have crossed over into that's, uh, that's done a competitive race at, or, uh, at COTA, and that's kind of the point I was trying to make there. Okay, Jay. Again, I see all kinds of positives from this uh, all the way across the board. Uh, if it helps Stuart Haas Racing, it, it helps Harvick. They're having a little bit of a, we mentioned, a down year by only finishing in the top five or top ten every week. Uh, kind of a slow year for them, if you will. So uh, having Harvick, and this is where I think NASCAR needs to not completely restrict the cup guys from going into set events. Uh, you know, if they were to for the reason of they don't want one driver to get an advantage over another, I kind of understood that, but I do think this where you, you dabble just a little bit. He's not even maximizing it out at the, the five or seven races like Kyle Busch does. Um, I think it's a good thing for the series as well as for the fans. Uh, obviously, he did it with a select purpose, which is, again, benefit to him, benefit to the fans. Uh, I see it as a good thing, and, and the possibility of, like I said, of maybe looking at the ownership down the road. So we'll, we'll have to see how, how that all comes out. We're talking years down the road, but um, and I know it, it, it tied in there with his management team, KHI, uh, getting a, a race or two for Ryan Priest as well. So uh, doing good things for the sport. Okay, I don't really have anything to add. So Andy, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, I'm good too on this one. Okay. Mike, uh, let's have you uh, introduce our next topic. Sure. Jenna Fryer posted a couple days ago that NASCAR's come down with some new rules regarding Zoom and media availability on there. Um, this is, apparently a lot of it's been coming from the, uh, the entitlement sponsors, uh, but some of the rules that are implemented now are drivers can no longer give Zoom interviews from a motor coach or a vehicle. Uh, and apparently the big push on this was because the entitlement sponsors wanted to make sure that they had some sort of a backdrop, uh, both for a professional appearance and more importantly, to get the logos for those sponsors on screen during the driver availability. Um, so I guess that's going to go into effect starting this weekend. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Uh, I don't know how to make this come across on radio. 
we really we have to have rules on. <laughs> that was me trying to make my tongue do the thing, but um, rules on this. <laughs> I understand sponsors want to be wherever a driver is, but to me as a fan, I think it's actually cool to see them in their in their home or you know as a outside of the professional, if you will. Uh, like I said, I understand the sponsors, and that I'm sure that's where the drive is coming from. But to me, that's getting a little bit ridiculous. Uh, I just most of the drivers have on either their hat or their uniform, and they're getting their sponsors in there anyway. Let them be uh, a human and a person, just you know, a little bit of the time. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I would I would agree with Jay on that for sure. It seems to be, um, you know, a little bit on the on the micromanaging side, I guess, if you will, um, you know, I can totally understand wanting sponsor placement, uh, no doubt about that, but, you know, to, to restrict it from vehicles in, in motor homes, you know, it might actually limit availability in terms of getting people, um, you know, on for interviews. Um, if you're going to make it, you know, only in certain settings, you know, especially when you consider a driver's schedule and what they've got going on for the course of the week or a weekend. So, um, you know, not sure. I totally agree with that. I can see from a safety standpoint, they didn't want them doing it from a moving vehicle. I, I guess you could say that, that it says a bad example, which I get, but um, yeah, it seems a little bit, a little bit on the restrictive side for sure. Yeah. Uh, I have to agree with what, what's been said here. Um, I, I do understand the title sponsor wanting to get their exposure. Uh, that's why they, invest the dollars into the sport. But we have NASCAR Digital, uh, and NASCAR Digital, I'm surprised that they didn't think about being more creative with NASCAR Digital. There are, there are backdrops that you can make digitally, no matter where a driver is, that you could, you know, use in these situations if they wanted to have that backdrop or even, you know, a, a digital uh stamp, if you will, uh, in the corner uh, of the driver's home or, you know, exercise room or whatever. Um, I I think they could have been, I think, a little more creative before making that move. Now, as far as uh, no interviews in a moving vehicle, that makes sense from a safety perspective. Uh, Yeah, they might be a passenger in that vehicle. but I, and I'd like to think that they're not driving while they're on a Zoom call, but I've got a feeling that there have been people who have done that. Um, but for those people, people that are driving and being on Zoom calls, that's probably not a good idea. So uh, from that perspective, I think that's the smart move to make. Uh, but from the other perspective, I think there's so many other things they could have done creatively uh, to give the sponsor the exposure uh, that they're looking for here that and still be able to keep that fun aspect of seeing the driver in a different kind of an environment, uh, that it kind of confuses me why NASCAR didn't come up uh, with more creative ideas in that regard. So, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, Andy kind of brought up my first thought on that um, was, say we're doing a rain fill, you know, rain delays because that tends to happen plenty and they want to cut to a certain driver for an interview. Hey, he's available. He's not doing anything. Let's talk to him. Oh, he doesn't have a backdrop. I guess we're not going to be able to interview that driver. Um, And 
I, like you said, I understand the intention, and yes, those entitlement sponsors are putting out a whole lot of money, but that's what watermarks are for on video. It's like you said, you can put it in a little corner digitally, either in post-editing or just as a template. How many graphics a day does Fox run on their broadcast with you know, any number of advertisements or information or whatever? It's not like it's some new, uh, new, new concept to put an overlay on there. And if that's what's standing between interviewing a driver or not, they shouldn't use a, a backdrop as a, a go-no-go as far as doing an interview with a driver. Jay, follow-up comments? Okay, so if I'm not mistaken, everybody kind of agreed with me being that I went first, but I didn't hear anybody else go <laughs> Um, and it's really actually really hard to do. Yeah, it's really oh, hard to do. Actually, what that was. I wasn't quite sure what you were doing. <laughs> As I said the first time, I don't know if it was what I, I had eaten some chips. It was too dry. I couldn't get it done. But um, yeah, you've mentioned it. There are so many different other ways you can go. And like I said, I think it adds something to it seeing them as you know with their family in their home or in their uh, RVs. The driving thing, obviously, if they're driving, that should be a no-go. If they're just in their car or that's where they happen to be sitting, then I don't see the issue with it. Uh, but like you mentioned, there, there's a lot of different ways they could do it. The sponsor could develop a package where 10 seconds before they do an interview with them, they play this package, shows the car on the track, their wins for the season, their stats for the season, anything like that, and use that as the intro into said interview. So... Um, I'm with you guys. I don't want to see it be like, well, we couldn't interview him. He wasn't near his backdrop or he didn't have his, uh, sponsor pajamas on before he went to bed or whatever. Andy, your final thoughts? Yeah, I guess it really just, you know, you don't necessarily like seeing it get too restrictive, but you know, some of the ideas make sense. Some of them don't, but, um, you know, maybe they'll, refine it a little bit you know like like mike said especially the at track availability on the on the the race weekends you know especially during a rain delay which you know i'm sure we'll see at some point here this spring somewhere so um hopefully they'll refine it a little bit and and just make the driver access still be readily available um because those interviews you know sometimes those last minute interviews are are pretty good ones at times so um hopefully we don't lose that availability yeah, yeah. And and I agree with everything that's been said. I don't really have anything more to add once again. So, Mike, I'm going to give you the final word. Yeah, that's about it. Realistically, hopefully, you know, the, the, the COVID trajectory continues going the way it's going and we can get back to normal media availability where, hey, let's get the driver into the studio and, and, and or, you know, have the media center back open again. So it has the, uh, you know, the wall of microphones and, you know, you know, the more traditional availability stuff and this petty little Zoom meeting uh, micromanagement, as we described, it kind of goes away. Okay. Jay, what's our next topic? Well, we're all guilty of it time to time of picking a driver and penciling their name into a race or a championship or whatever it be. We've done a lot of talking when it comes to the Dirt Bristol race of who it's going to be. Kyle Larson, uh, Christopher Bell, or who is Chase Briscoe. And while they're all variable, obviously uh, viable winners, are we overlooking the rest of the field for that matter? Not even dirt experience, but just the rest of the field, being that it's going to be such an unknown. Okay. Andy, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, you, you certainly can't overlook anyone. Um, 
you know, I, I do think that if you're a driver that has zero dirt racing background, um, you know, going into, going into this race, you're, you're probably at a pretty big disadvantage for sure. Um, you know, but there is practice, there is heat races, um, there is driving other races like what Harvick's doing. Some of these guys are going to run, I think the dirt late models, um, you know, drivers like Chase Elliott, for example, have done fairly extensive dirt racing over the winter to try to get better at that craft. So, yeah, I think it's unfair to rule anyone out really like any race, um, you know, does it, does it favor, you know, the drivers that Jay mentioned? Yeah. But there's also other drivers with, with dirt backgrounds too. And I think this is one of those huge wild card races where you really can't necessarily put a name on, on who's going to win this deal till it's all said and done. Obviously um, when you look at the success of, of uh, in particular, really Larson and, and Bell and, and certainly, you know, when you Briscoe's done a, you know, had success in, in the, in the dirt stuff too. And I think has a truck win at Eldora. So, I mean, those guys certainly are going to be up there contending for the win. I think we can all agree on that, but to rule anyone out is, is pretty unfair. And, and certainly I think that, you know, this race could lend itself to a surprise winner. We're not even thinking of right now. So um, yeah, it's hard to rule anyone out for sure. Mike. The one name that everyone is forgetting is Stenhouse. Uh, we overlook him a lot because he's not usually a, a front runner in the Cup Series week in week out. Week out. But Stenhouse runs with that same, you know, Larson, Christopher Bell, Rico Abreu, that that dirt chili bowl nationals kind of uh, dirt crew. And Stenhouse is right in here with those guys. Now the JTG equipment has not necessarily been top five equipment on your traditional pavement cup tracks week in and week out. But I think that dirt's going to be a a pretty big equalizer and maybe the equipment disadvantage that JTG tends to bring to the table most weekends kind of fades away. And the driver with the experience in the environment, namely Ricky Stenhouse on dirt could put that 47 in victory lane in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think there's several drivers that have dirt experience, uh, and you guys have mentioned all of them, uh, you know, with Larson and Bell, and and you mentioned Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Those guys might have a little bit of a competitive edge, but let's not forget, things are a lot different in a NASCAR Cup Series car than they are in most other uh, racing vehicles that race on dirt. So the Cup car is a very heavy compared to most late model cars that race on dirt. So that's going to be, I think, an equalizer and why it's going to be really tough to call this race. Even with the guys that have some experience, uh, they don't have experience in an NASCAR Cup Series car uh, that weighs, what, 3,800 pounds and racing that on dirt. So I think that uh, we might be a little bit surprised with the results that we may see. Those guys might have a little bit of an edge because they know how to handle a car on dirt, but do they know how to handle this weight of a car on dirt? And that's what we're going to find out at Bristol when they race on dirt. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? So, So not only do you steal my race picks for the weekend, you steal my thoughts on this. Uh, I, th- I think you hit on it there. When you talk about Bell and Briscoe, they do come with a very extensive, and Kyle Larson as well, dirt background. However, 
uh, with the exception of Larson, Stenhouse is the one that has the, the most cup experience, as you mentioned, with the heavier cars. And Bristol is statistically one of his better tracks. No matter what team he's been with, that has been the highlight of his year on several occasions. So I think that combination has to at least equalize the, the fact that it's dirt. Uh, and again, this isn't a traditional dirt track. It's still a, the banked half mile of Bristol, not your local short track dirt track. So uh, I think we are in for, for a big surprise. I think these guys will be contended and watched. And then you throw in, like I mentioned, Austin Dillon is another one that I think uh, we might be might be surprised at. Um, and, and then I go back to Kyle Busch. I mean, and he is one that I rank with a couple of these that it doesn't seem to matter what you put him in. If it has wheels and a motor, he can drive it. So I think Kyle Busch has to rank up there as well, who obviously has some great statistics um, uh, when it comes to Bristol. So you have to put him up there as well. Okay, Andy, your follow-up thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the only devil's advocate I can play on that is that, you know, this Bristol, you can't really compare it to the Oval in any way, shape, or form. It's completely different. It's even the banking's different. They shaped it with the dirt to be different. So, I mean, it's a a pretty unknown racetrack for sure. Um, But at the same time, I – I mean, throw in Austin Dillon and, and Bubba Wallace. They have truck wins at Eldora. So, I mean, I think anyone that has uh, any any truck experience, you know, and been successful at it from Eldora, that's probably going to translate to um, some level of success, you know, here at Bristol for sure. Um, you know, all the dirt guys are going to be up there, but I, I, I think there's nothing that prevents any – full-time cup driver from figuring things out. I mean, that's what makes them really good is their ability to go in there and figure out a new track, a new surface, a new type of racing. And so, you know, anyone, any one of these guys can get it figured out by the end of that race and go up there and win. And I think that when you consider the possibility for a number of wrecks, cautions and and things happening that, uh, you know, even though in all likelihood, it's probably going to be one of the dirt guys that wins this thing. Um, things can happen to take those guys out of it too. So um, definitely, you definitely can't overlook the entire field. I think that, um, you know, you're going to see some guys definitely get it figured out by the checkered flag. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I think we're already pretty confident that it's going to be the pace car that leads the most laps at this thing. Uh, Brad Keselowski, I think he said uh, last week that Bristol is going to end up being the longest dirt race in the history of the universe, and uh, <laughs> he, he might not be wrong. Uh, it's, it's, yes, it's a different track, but it's still Bristol. Eldora has got a lot of room in the infield for a spun-out car to get out of the way versus Bristol. They didn't knock the walls down. It's still relatively narrow there on the straightaways. Um, so there's not going to be a whole lot of room for spun cars to get out of the way without bringing out a yellow. So it's going to be an interesting thing to see. I really look forward to seeing it. I think it might be a little messy, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it is going to be messy. And when you think about the um, main races, they're they're doing all those, uh, what do they call them, heat races uh, beforehand. Uh, there's a big chance of these guys wrecking out a car before they even get to the main event. Uh, and, and with the banking, there's a lot of difference between the dirt race at Eldora and the dirt race at Bristol Motor Speedway with the banking that they have there. Um, 
I think this is going to be pretty much up for grabs for anybody who figures it out first, as Andy puts it, uh, for how to manage a 3,800-pound car on dirt, on banking dirt. <laughs> um, it, it's going to be a bit wild and crazy, I think. And the heat races, who knows who's going to be left uh, to race that main event. I think it's... it's uh, uh, really going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Jay, your final thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Like I said, this this whole dirt on Bristol thing has been a roller coaster for me. Uh, I get excited about it, and then I think about some of the things that may not go well, but then I see some of the intriguing possibilities. Again, different possible winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've seen it with the Eldora truck race. I don't think that's been a, as bad as what people first thought it was going to be when they first announced you know, the Arkham Menard series has raced on dirt before. So I don't think it, the, the banking is, is what concerns me again, that most of your tracks, especially when it comes to your bigger cars, aren't quite the bowl that Bristol is. Even some of the tracks that I go to in the Tennessee and Alabama area that are considered bull rings in a really uh, sloped banked bowl uh, don't quite rank with Bristol. And I don't know how they've changed it. Andy mentioned that the, the, it's changed a little bit with how they place the dirt. So definitely going to be interesting. And it's one of those of this is the first time, if they so choose to do it again, think of how much better it can get as they learn things. So I think that's the biggest thing we got to look at is it is a learning thing for everybody. Yes, indeed. We're at that time of the night where it's time for me to make an announcement, especially to our first-time listeners. Uh, We go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. And so if you hear us go off the air mid-sentence, rest assured we are continuing to record the rest of the conversation that's available as part of our bonus overtime material on our uh, podcast. So... If you've listened up to this point, all you have to do uh, is, first of all, I'm going to go out on Twitter to let everybody know when we've completed the show and that the podcast is available. If you've listened up to this point, you just fast forward up to the two-hour mark, and then you'll be able to hear the rest of our conversation. For those of you that are listening on the podcast, uh, it's going to go straight through for you, and you'll be able to listen to all of it. Uh, But uh, we just like to let our first-time listeners know uh, that it's going to happen. We're going to go off the air mid-sentence, but we are continuing to record. So... uh, and we appreciate everybody tuning in. So I'm going to bring up the next topic, and it's a topic that we kind of already discussed, but NASCAR has come out with some statements that are kind of put a little different uh, perspective on this. And it has to do with uh, the spin-out with Kyle Busch in the truck series race. Uh, and NASCAR has, and that happened, I think, at Las Vegas um, last weekend. So NASCAR has come out. And they said that they're going to be a little less lenient on the drivers who spin with a flat tire after an incident uh, that took place, as we mentioned, in the truck series uh, race at Las Vegas. So um, NASCAR typically typically gives the drivers the benefit of the doubt in these situations, but series officials fined Bubba Wallace $50,000 and docked him 50 points in November of 2019 after he admitted 
the NBC Sports video intentionally spun at Texas to get a caution after experiencing a flat tire. Kyle Busch did the same thing at Las Vegas, but refused to even comment on the situation. And I know we've talked a little bit about this, but I'm wondering if the fact that NASCAR is already saying that they are going to become less lenient on drivers who spin after a flat tire, uh, what your thoughts are. So, Mike, we're going to go to you first on this one. This is a really sticky situation here because there's – I understand the intent. They want to maintain the integrity of the race. They don't want these drivers to, for lack of a better way to describe it, manipulate the outcome via doing that. But there's two things to consider here. One – this would be a, a pretty significant penalty that can't be appealed. If they're going to hold a driver on pit road for a lap or two during the race because they're going to say he spun intentionally, there's no you can't put that genie back in the bottle. You can't give a guy his lap back retroactively after reviewing it. There's no appeals process for that penalty. So they better be absolutely sure that when they issue that penalty that they got the call correct. Because um, that's you know, talk about Bubba Wallace losing 50 points. Well, if you penalize a driver in stage one and you hold him a lap or two and he never gets that lap back, that's potentially 50 points right there that a driver has just lost. Um, so it's a, substan- a potentially substantial penalty for that. The other one on that is right now when drivers are doing these kind of questionable spins, it's a pretty safe, you know, I'm just going to spin it around on the apron well inside of the, uh, of, of the inside line and away from everybody else. And it's just a single car kind of a thing. If they're going to start scrutinizing it to the point where they're going to say, oh, well, that was an intentional spin. You were just out in the, in the middle of nowhere and you just, you know, you intentionally spun the car. Well, that might force drivers to do something that's a little bit less obvious and potentially more dangerous by putting the car in a little bit more of an out of control situation uh, to make it less of an obvious, you know, intentional caution. And that's my concern there. Okay. Andy, your thoughts. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how they police this. I think that's, you know, what, what carry, what makes me the most curious is, you know, how they'll be able to tell. I think that, you know, for us watching the truck race on Friday night, it was kind of funny that Austin Dillon essentially called him out as it happened because it was blatant what he did. Um, at least it looks blatant to us, um, certainly. Um, just when you look at his level of, of truck control on the front straightaway at high speed and then to have it just loop around on the flat on the apron, it, it makes you – it made a lot of people question the integrity of it. So, And it happens all the time and happens several times a year. It's been like this for years, um, you know, and it's just the name of the game, unfortunately, the game that I don't particularly like and I don't think anyone really does. Um, you know, but I, I think for me the, the big issue is, is how do you know for sure, you know, unless you're looking at SMT or some way that you can – pinpoint the fact that someone throttled up or turned the wheel or whatever I don't know but um, you know I just I question and worry about non-calls versus versus intentional you know calls like if someone accidentally spins out and they penalize them for it I mean that's not a road that I'd like to see them go down so um, I I just really don't know how they're going to police this effectively hopefully these guys just stop intentionally spinning out and, you know, maybe the warning alone in, in NASCAR saying they're going to police it will deter people from doing it. And, and hopefully we don't talk about this uh, in the future, but um, 
Yeah, just my my question would be how do you how do you question it or how do you how do you make the call and get it right um and not ruin someone's day inadvertently, you know, from someone who may have spun out accidentally. So it's a uh it's kind of a slippery, a slippery slope and just, you know, more scrutiny and more potential penalization and um just not something I'm too keen on seeing, but at the same time, um you know, intentional wrecking, cautions, whatever, to manipulate the outcome of a race isn't something we really want to see. Other drivers have been highly scrutinized for it, others not. Um, just try to make it equal for everyone and, and try to hold everyone accountable. And, you know, hopefully um, hopefully they're able to do this without um, without getting the call wrong. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I'm going to give a little more time to Mike and Andy because, again, Sharon, you and I are ones that talked about this with, uh, and I don't remember if it was Tommy or Owen on this one, but uh, there is no way to get it right. The only way to get it right is if the driver admits he did it and you're doing it post-race then. The the in-race one, uh, I think right now NASCAR is doing what they're doing, telling drivers, don't put us in that position because you're not going to like it. And and if it comes to that, you're right. Drivers aren't going to like it. Fans aren't going to like it because they're still going to, you know, say, hey, he did do it on purpose or he didn't. You should have penalized him. You didn't, blah, blah, blah. So the the clearest message and, and way to fix it is drivers to not do it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And I think at this point NASCAR has done a great thing in at least coming out and saying, hey, we're aware of it. You didn't admit it. But even if you deny it, they're, again, an outright denial. Uh, we've seen that before may not cover it and and we none of us want to go down that road so we need to ask drivers to not do it yeah it's a slippery slope no matter how you look at it i agree with that that was good terminology uh andy uh because it is a slippery slope for nascar to try to to manage uh those kind of penalties but let's talk about who put us in that position (laughs) And it's drivers like Kyle Busch and Bubba Wallace and all of the other drivers that that everybody's saying that it happens all the time. So when it comes down to NASCAR having to make that call and penalizing somebody, I don't think that we should accept any complaints from the drivers <laughs> because they are the ones that have put NASCAR in that position to make that call, whether it's the right call or the wrong call, really doesn't matter. It's the fact that doing what they're doing has put NASCAR in that position. And that's something that I think gets lost uh, in a lot of these situations Um when NASCAR is forced to be put in that position. And like Jay said, the best way to not put NASCAR in that position is don't do it. Uh, Mike brings up a good point. Uh, If they don't do it blatantly, uh, will they take a chance and do it on the track where they could actually hurt somebody or, you know, uh, hurt somebody else's day, even if it's, if it's that. Um, Again, (laughs) the the best solution is just don't do it. Uh, you know, have some integrity uh, for yourself and, and for the sport. And I think Harvick and some of these other drivers have said, we can't manage ourselves. We're too competitive, and we're going to do stupid things like this because we are competitive. So NASCAR is put in that position because of that. 
So I think we just have to remember that it's the drivers that have put NASCAR in that spot. And when they make a call, again, it doesn't matter to me whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, I can't blame NASCAR for it because they were put in that position. They have to make a call, and they have to use their best judgment uh, from where they sit when they make that call. So, Mike, what are your uh, follow-up comments? Guys, come on. We've all been around racing for for how long between all of us here? Have we ever once in our lives seen a situation where drivers were just asked nicely to not do something that gave them a competitive advantage and they went along with it? Exactly. I don't think asking nicely is going to ever do anything. Like like you said with, with, with Harvick's take on it, asking nicely is not going to do anything. Um, it's It's going to be what it's going to be. And unfortunately – a hand is going to get forced one way or the other. Either the driver is going to force NASCAR's hand and NASCAR is going to come down on this pretty hard, or they're going to force it in the other way and NASCAR it's going to be boys have at it and it's going to be what it's going to be. I don't know what the answer is. It's almost like the equivalent of flopping in soccer or basketball where you know it's going on, but the rule book is the rule book. And, in, you know, and until they kind of can, can quantify what is and is not allowed and how to define it, leaving it up to a judgment call is very difficult because now you're assessing the skill of a a professional race car driver. And it's pretty obvious and and well accepted that a driver like Kyle Busch is at a different skill level than a driver like Garrett Smithley. But you can't write a rule book for Kyle Busch and have a separate rule book for Garrett Smithley. So you're going to need to come up with some sort of a quantifiable standard And I don't know how you can define a standard for what is an intentional spin and what is an unintentional loss of control of the car when it has some sort of a mechanical failure. Andy, your follow-up thoughts? Yeah, I'd like to point out, Sharon, that, you know, you bring up a really good point there that um, NASCAR is kind of put in this position by the drivers themselves. And I kind of look at it, um, if I'm going to compare this to something, it's like, and I'm not trying to compare drivers to kids, but just as the example, kids on a playground, they're, they're told repeatedly, don't kick the ball, the soccer ball over here. They keep kicking the soccer ball in a certain area. So the playground or the school teacher step in and say, all right, fine, we're going to start enforcing this. You know, you, I guess the point being that if you keep pushing the envelope and you keep doing something they don't really want you to do, eventually some kind of sanctioning body or disciplinarians or whoever has to step in and, basically say okay fine we don't want to see this we're going to start um, we're going to start penalizing you for this so you can kind of see where they're coming from on this um, because they've certainly been put in this box by none other than the drivers themselves Um, like I said I hope this doesn't become a thing I don't want to see um, I don't want to see penalties for this I don't want to see drivers doing it at all And, and I certainly don't want to see you know someone have a have a genuine accident and be penalized for it because um, that changes the outcome of a race just as much as someone who does it intentionally. So um, I just hope it becomes not a thing. I don't like seeing it, um, you know, and unfortunately these guys have all taken advantage of it at one time or another to try to help themselves out and or help teammates out or whatever the case is. And um, hopefully this just kind of fades away and becomes something they just stop doing. Jay? Well, it, it is going to be a judgment call no matter what. Like I said, unless the driver admits it, that's the only time you don't have the judgment call. 
Uh, we've seen it with the, with the restarts as well, and I know NASCAR did a little bit to try and prevent that with the restart zone. But there too, there's still the did this driver jump or did this driver lag back that they do look at occasionally. And, and unfortunately, as I said the other night, especially now that they have come out and said they are watching it, I think it is going to take one or two penalties to a top-tier team uh, to really send that message, and then you'll see it slack off because you're going to see that, hey, they're serious. Hey, they're going to enforce this. Hey, I got screwed because of it. I'm going to make sure it never you know, happens that way. I think it is going to take a penalty or two to, to fully send the message. So uh, I don't want to see it. I don't like the road it's going down. But as Mike said, we know it happens. And I will say this, uh, not that, Sharon, you were doing it intentionally, but the names that got thrown out there, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is one that has admitted maybe a year or mm-hmm. two after the fact, but he is he is one that has admitted he's done it, you know, intentionally brought out the caution. So it's not that it's particular drivers. It's like Harvick, you know, you said, you give us an inch, you know, we're, we're going to take it uh, unless you absolutely say no. So uh, it, everybody's guilty across the board. And like I said, the easiest fix, don't do it. Nope, that's a good point, Jay, because I did not mean to – necessarily think about a specific driver or drivers. Uh, But let's face facts. There is no quantifiable measurement that NASCAR can use in this case. So that's where the slippery slope comes in. And the only people that created, again, that slippery slope are the drivers. So um, let's keep in mind that when Kyle Busch did it, and, and when other drivers have done it, too, I, again, I'm not trying to single out a particular driver, but we are talking about this particular instance uh, that is kind of precipitating this. Uh, he kept himself from going a lap down, and it is a finish in the race in second place. So the reason drivers do it is it gives them it, – it saves them from going a lap down, or it, it helps them in some way. So, and and that's all the drivers that have done it. So I think that, that, um, again, to me, it doesn't matter if they make the right call, the wrong call, or an indifferent call. If they make a call and somebody gets fined, they have no one to blame but themselves collectively as drivers that have created the situation that has forced NASCAR into that position of making the call. So I really... Uh, and cautioning people from getting all excited over the call when it happens because it's going to happen. And it might be right, it might be wrong, but it doesn't matter whether it is or not because the drivers put NASCAR in this position. Um, And you're right, once it happens, that's when they're going to get serious and say, okay, they're serious about this and we, we just can't do that anymore. So... Uh, We're going to have to make that, I guess, the final word. And we do have some time left, so, Andy, we're back to you. I'm actually all caught up on the things I've seen for this week, so I'm good, I think. Okay. uh, Mike, did you have another one? Well, this isn't so much an immediate hot topic, but I do want to bring it up because I get accused a lot, unfairly, but I get accused a lot of being negative and never having anything positive to say. I, it's completely <laughs> yeah. unfair. Unfounded allegations. Now, uh, 
Hey, when you we, spin out we, intentionally, you're going to get that reputation. That's right. So, you know, we if talked about there enough, being a the lot of uncertainty. Follows. Well, you know, um, but well, I mean, you're, you're the guys who think a penalty enforcement is going to change behavior. Denny Hamlin still spe- uh, speeds on pit road every week. Anyway, <laughs> so we talked a lot about how there needs to be dust that settles before we figure out what's going on this season, and, and there's going to be a lot of things to change. I'm calling it right now, though, on this one. Clint Boyer's addition to the Fox Sports booth has just been TV magic this year. The dynamic between Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon has been extremely fun to watch and I think has really, really, really improved the quality of Fox's on-screen product. Okay, Jay? I can't argue with that. Uh, I'm not one that was necessarily against the team they had. It is one of those I normally don't get real into uh, worrying about that, but uh, there certainly has been a different atmosphere to it. Uh, I know there are a lot of people, and I say this when it comes to football, that that's what they talk about that more than the football game itself. I'm one that I watch the football game. If they're talking about it, however they're talking about it, I don't let that detract me from it. But I will say this, that they certainly can add to it, and Clinton Boyer most certainly has. Uh, some of the some of it gets to be a, a little bit, how do I want to say, more focused on the announcers, and I and I say this as an announcer, so I know it's a, a it's a tough road to hoe. <laughs> you are supposed to entertain and provide that, but you also don't want it to be about you. It's still about the event that's happening. So there there is a line of that. Of how much um, I don't know what the proper word to use there is when you have a two man team how much joking around and and commentary there is versus still keeping the focus on the track. And I know they do it during cautions and that's, that's the job. So I I would have to agree that, that it Clint Boyer edition has certainly been good. Andy, I'm real curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, Jay brings up a really good point when the race is on, you know, especially since I listen to the scanner every week, I'm so focused on, what's going on on the track that I'm quite honestly not really listening to the commentators, but um, you know, I just trying to pay attention to what's going on on the racetrack. But, you know, I will say that something was lacking with the Fox booth. I think that um, Daryl Waltrip previously was a fantastic personality, but his time had come, you know, to where um, the perspective that he could bring to the broadcast wasn't, quite as relevant as it once was when he was fresh out of the race car. It was time for him to fully retire. It was time to do something different. And, um, you know, Clint's time behind the wheel had come to a close and, and Clint's Clint, he's not fake in any way. Like what you see is, is what you get with him. That's, you know, from interviews and things I've seen, that's just how he is all the time. So, um, you know, if you're going to inject a personality into a, a broadcast team, uh, that's that's the guy to do it with for sure. And I think that he's he's brought an entirely new element to that booth. I think, you know, and there was nothing wrong with Mike Joy, who I respect highly, and Jeff Gordon, obviously a four-time champion being in the booth, but they're both together kind of more on the serious side. And, you know, and maybe, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have, you know, a serious aspect to the broadcast. But when you balance that with someone who's a complete goofball like Clint, um, it can really kind of bring out some new life in those guys. And I've seen it, especially with Jeff Gordon. Um, you know, Gordon's a whole new person this year because he can feed off that enthusiasm and that, that, that 
uh, lighter side of things a bit. So um, it's something I think Fox needed, um, especially when you look at NBC and, and having Dale Jr. in there, you know, who's very popular with the fans. I think, um, you know, Clint was that extra life that Fox Sports needed. And, um, you know, I think perhaps he's found – uh, his calling for years to come. So, like I said, I don't always really listen to those guys during the actual broadcast, but certainly some of those pre-race bits they've done, like the rental car race and whatnot, have just been uh, really fantastic to watch. Yes, indeed. And I agree with you guys. He has been a really positive addition to the booth and uh, and everything. I, 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 it, it's good to bring laughter uh, to everybody, this is an entertainment industry, and it's all good. But here's the one caution that I do throw up, and, and I, Jay brought it up already, but I'm going to just expound on it a little bit. Uh, Brian Everly, who used to be a part of our fan referencing team here, he had a thing on his uh, uh, page that said, uh, your job is to tell the story, not be the story. And and that's the thing that I think they tread that fine line with, uh, because I think back to years past when when they had a group of people, there was a group of people that did a lot of self-promotion <laughs> on uh, the old Speed Channel. And I used to get frustrated because I wasn't tuning in to hear about their latest uh you know, book effort or where to go to their website. And I wanted to know about the drivers. I didn't really have that much interest in the commentators uh, in that respect. So I got a little frustrated with them doing a lot of self-promotion. I don't think these guys are doing that kind of thing. Um, But I think that, you know, as long as they're doing it uh, and making sure that they're still focusing on what we're all tuning in to see, which is the race, then I'm fine with it. Uh, because uh, there's there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of fun. But uh, that would be the only caution that I throw up, the caution flag that I throw up on it. I like what I see, and I hope it continues in a positive way. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, as Jeff and Clint would say, put it out, right? That's that's been a catchphrase this, this year. Anyway, um, I guess I've got a little bit different perspective. Um, I don't listen to the scanner when I'm watching the race. I don't have MRN up or even any of the enhanced stuff on NASCAR.com or any of the other uh, media providers. I watch the show on TV. Um, I enjoy the uh, I enjoy the race, and part of that is the commentators as well. And I agree that the, this Fox Sports booth was lacking something last year uh, with just Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon. Mike Joy is a professional broadcaster. He's one of the very best in the business, but he's never driven a race car. Jeff Gordon is a 900-pound brain. He is an outstanding <laughs> race car driver, one of the best the sports has ever seen, but he can get a little bit too analytical sometimes to the point where it almost seems like he goes over people's heads. Uh, and I think Clint Boyer He's the guy who kind of brought it all back together. Mike Joy has almost become the referee between those two. So Jeff Gordon will come in with his typical cerebral, you know, high point stuff. And then Clint Boyer kind of almost translates it into something that maybe connects a little bit more with the, uh, with the fans. And I think that's a, a really good counterbalance to Jeff Gordon. Um, and I think it's been very effective this year in presenting a really well-rounded product for the fans watching the show. Okay, Jay. Yeah, that, that and that's the key, that, that balance. Uh, the one thing I don't understand is 
I always felt like Michael Waltrip brought that. But there again, a lot of people didn't yeah. like him because he was over over the top with his antics. And that's where I said you got to find that line. You want to entertain the fans, especially during a break, whether it be a rain delay, especially. But even during cautions, you know, fans get upset with that of the too many cautions. Then you have commercials. That is where you, as an announcer, do provide that secondary entertainment level. But as Sharon said it, and I didn't know it went back to Brian uh, Eberle, but that you want to report the story and make it entertaining, but not be the story. And that's where I think they they got to watch that line. And I can't. I wouldn't say they've been over the top with it as of so far this point. Maybe a little close to it, but. You know, and, and I say this again. I've had people talk to me as far as my announcing uh, with that, of being careful on that line, of treading on that line. Are you taking away from what is happening? That's the biggest key. So you know, and as of right now, I think it has been a great thing for Fox, and, and I think Mike's right. That, that balance between the two is always a good thing when you have the one serious or analytical, as he said, versus the I want to say dumb it down, but bring it to another level and reach another level of audience, if you will. So I do think the balance is good there, and they've, they've done a good job with it so far. Andy? Uh, I don't really have any follow-up. I think I'm all set on this one. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I like what I've seen so far, so <laughs> I think it's all good. I, again, I'm just throwing up a, a yellow caution flag because I have seen it happen in the past. Uh, and I'm one of those people that uh, thought Michael Waltrip was a little over the top. Uh, but uh, uh, he he is entertaining. It's just that he took it to that little nth degree over. So uh, I, just, uh, I, I hope these guys don't do that because I enjoy what I'm seeing now. So, Mike, your final thoughts? That's all I've got. I think Fox has another 12 or 13 races before they hand it over to NBC. So I remember when Jeff Gordon first got into the booth, it was a little bit of a rocky start. So I think there's still going to be a little bit more growing and coming together as a team between the, uh, the Fox sports booth. Uh, and I do look forward to seeing how that evolves to their finished product by the end of their broadcast term this season. Okay. All right, so uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour, so we might as well go ahead and do our uh, roundtable now. Andy, we'll start with you and go around the horn here. Yeah, just glad to be back. Obviously been a little bit disconnected uh, in recent weeks due to work, but I'm happy to be back on the show tonight and uh, hoping to get some um, some written stuff done over the course of, uh, I got some days off uh, early next week, so hopefully you'll actually see some written stuff from me for fan for racing on the website. Hopefully you can get some of the stuff done soon and I'm um, just glad to be back. And certainly um, I don't think I'll be able to watch Xfinity this weekend, but certainly I'll be around for the cup race on Sunday. So looking forward to that. And uh, it's finally nice to be back on the show. I certainly apologize that I haven't been around much, but uh, the old, uh, the old work's gotten in the way a little bit here in recent times, but um, certainly nice to talk with everyone about some uh, racing tonight. Okay. Well, we're happy to have you back, Andy. Mike, you're next. 
Yeah, it's Mike underscore Zell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Um, Andy's in. Looks like I'm probably going to end up being out for the next week or two based on, on my current work schedule. Uh, but I'll hopefully be able to check in at least in the uh, in the race day chat rooms, if nothing else, to, to keep in touch with you all. Uh, while I'm on the road, I'll, I'll see if I can come up with another article as well. Still got that Brad Keselowski hot seat article that's live. Looking more and more like I'm going to be going to the, uh, the spring Talladega race here at the end of next month. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that one. Okay, and Jay? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ 8 on Twitter and Instagram. I've got Chasing the, Chasing the Championship coming out uh, here shortly. And as with some notes I took from what we uh, did on the preview show tonight, looking at the streak of different winners that's going on in the Cup Series. And then another one that's already in the, in the works uh, being discussed of Front Row Motorsports and Michael McDowell's season so far. Uh, take a look at that as we come here in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, and with that, of a, as an announcer, going to do some self-promoting, if you will. Two weeks, going to be at your <laughs> Capital City Raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway, where I talk about the race car drivers, not myself. Exactly. That's why we have this little segment <laughs> at the end, uh, to give everybody, everybody a chance for self-promotion. Okay, uh, I am Bamper Racing site on Twitter, Bamper Racing blog and radio elsewhere, and uh, uh, I am uh, excited uh, about the guests that we've had this week. If you haven't heard our Monday night show, we had Corey Heim on the show as well as Christian McGee, and uh, they gave, both gave us uh, really nice interviews. Uh, tonight we had our interview with Roger Carruth in the ARCA East, and um, next week, I'm equally excited. Uh, right now, we have Bill Lester confirmed for Monday night. He'll be on at 9 o'clock to talk about his book. And he's also going to be racing in the truck series at Atlanta. So uh, that worked out really well that we caught him uh, just before that Atlanta race. And I think he's trying to get sponsorship uh, to race more of the season. So Stay tuned for some news on that front. Uh, also on Thursday night, we have Max Gutierrez on the show uh, from the Arkham Menard Series, the winner at Five Flag Speedway in the number 30 uh, for uh, Rhett Jones Racing. He'll be on the show and uh, definitely looking forward to talking to both of those guys, uh, Bill Lester on Monday and Max Gutierrez on Thursday of next week. Uh, definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. Uh, this is going to be kind of cool because uh, we've got the race this weekend and then the season finale. So to me, this is going to be a little bit of a preview of what we can expect. I know there's differences between the spring and the fall, but uh, I think it still gives us a little bit of a flavor, uh, and especially for the season because now we're at a shorter track. Um, a big shout-out to our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, I know I'm expecting some stuff from Owen uh, with regard to uh, – I haven't seen anything on the power ranking yet, the cash or pass or the winners and losers. So hopefully that will be coming out soon. And then also uh, we have the recap for Sam out on the board. Uh, so um, definitely uh, look for that. He did a nice recap uh, from the race at Las Vegas in the Cup Series, and I'm sure he'll do the same for the Cup Series at Phoenix. 
So uh, with that, a big shout-out to our listeners again. We do appreciate you tuning in every week to hear what we have to say. And uh, we uh, really appreciate you taking the time. And, of course, to our fan racing crew and uh, everybody uh, that is taking part in all of the activities and things that are happening, not only on the radio, but on our website as well, at fanforacing.com. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to say goodnight. Good night, everybody. Good night. Okay, we'll see you on the other side of the NASCAR race weekend. Take care, everybody. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.